on today's show. We are getting to know Kareem. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to Getting to hope you like me Because I'm good enough Getting to know you Putting it my way But nicely I'm smart enough You are precisely And doggone it My cup of tea And I found out that Kareem has not had a What did you call it? An honest job? No, not honest <laughs> A proper job Since 2014 Um, So Kareem, thank you for coming on and letting people get to know you, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for asking. I, I, uh, it's, it's a pleasure. It's a, it'll be fun. Yeah, and I, um, not, not that I wanted you to shut up, but like you already said like seven different things before we, we were recording that I was like, I kind of want to get into those. <laughs> so okay, all right. And what we were kind of just talking about is like you're from Australia and I'm just amazed at the fact that you can be in Australia, I'm in Delaware, and we're literally having a conversation through the air. It's, it's mind-bending if you think of where stuff was even like 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Well, there is, it's an inter- the cycles of communication are very interesting because, uh, and I'm not an expert on like radio or electronics, but I do, I used to read about it, like I used to want to get into electronics. Okay. And I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't, I'm not a stupid person, but I can't get my head around some of that stuff, but <laughs> um, especially radio and modulation and off. Oh, I mean, far out, man. It's like that's, that stuff is just, my brain isn't wired to understand that stuff, which is sad because I, I like it, but I can't, 
I don't know what the hell, like, like, uh, like I can put together a simple, like, you know, those electronics diagrams in those books made for hobbyists, right? Yeah. I've seen some pictures. I've never opened one, but I've seen okay. some people post pictures about them. <laughs> okay. So you know what a breadboard is for in, in electronics terms? No, I do not. Well, it's basically like a, uh, it's basically columns of <clears throat> interconnect, like it's columns of little sockets where you put like diodes and resistors into, like you slot them in. Oh, okay. And it looks like a miniature, roughly speaking, it looks like a miniature punch card, but it's just physical and it has, anyway, um, I can put together, like if, if I see a simple circuit in a book, I can, I can, replicate that on a breadboard as long as it's not too complicated because I figured out you just take it a step at a time it's like oh that's not that hard so following like you know color paint by numbers electronics is that's fine but I'm like how the hell would you I, I my brain just won't doesn't have what it takes to enable me to like design an actual circuit even a simple one I don't know what the hell's going on with that stuff so you can copy it. You just but, can't create it. Yeah, I can copy it. I can have fun with it. I can even modify it a little bit. But I like, and I said to a guy, um, a customer uh, where I used to work, who was an electronics like professional, uh, I, don't, I forgot what he did. And I'm like, I cannot get around the fact. And, I, and I, it's maybe because I overthink it. Because in electronics... The circuit, the circuit, con this conventions for how you write circuits is based on the old assumption that electric, what that electricity flowed from, I think positive to negative, or some something like that. But it's actually the other way around. Hmm. So there's, all the diagrams are technically anti-scientific because it doesn't replicate how nature, how electricity actually flows, but it's a convention. And it works perfectly well, but I every time I look at a diagram, I'm like, I can't, I can't do this because it's it's not how nature works, damn it! And I and I said to this guy, I can't, I can't handle that. My my brain locks up. And he said, Well, look, he said, Don't worry about it because the map is not the territory. And that was very like I got what he was talking about, but. I, that, and, and I kind of got disarmed with that, but I still, I still have, you know, I still can't, I'm not going to be an electronics dude. Like I just can't do it. But, um, um <laughs> but can I ask, cause I've never asked this question before when you say the books flow positive to negative, but nature's the opposite. Do you know enough to elaborate yeah. on that a little bit? Cause that, that makes very little sense to me. I'm picturing like a battery with the plus on the top like a double A battery plus on the top yep. negative on the bottom. And yep. I didn't think positive came out and flowed to the bottom. I guess I never thought about it. I knew it was a cycle, I guess, but I never thought about which way yeah. it flowed. I guess I just thought it would like evenly be distributed through both ends. This, wow. I never, but yeah. So then what's the yeah, deal it, with the <laughs> whole, um, it being opposite in nature? Um, because in the, in the, in the past, when they discovered electricity and they they tried to make sense of it, as far as I remember reading, it was assumed that 
because uh, have you heard the terms cathode and anode? No. Well, I think the cathode refers to the positive end, and I think anode refers to the negative end. Okay. And um, you have to have a for anything to flow, you have to have a, a potential or a difference, right? So you can't have you can't have any kind of energy unless there's a a difference or a potential. For example, um, if a tennis ball is resting on a on a brick, nothing happens. You have to have it. You have to give it potential. So you have to raise it above the brick and then drop it, and it makes a sound and it generates a little bit of heat. You get you get the picture. Yeah, with you. So that so in a in a simple uh, electric cell, you have two opposite. I suppose you call them opposite sections, which have to be insulated from another, and that potential is what allow what creates. And then uh, when you when you join them together via a circuit, or even just directly, if you want to be dangerous, that that creates that which you might call flow. Sense. Although it's I don't know if it's really flow. It's yeah, <clears throat> energy. Dude, what you just it said about flickers. them being separated, I never thought about that. Like. In a battery, the positive and the negative ends actually don't touch within the battery itself. Is that what happens? I've never, I've actually, yeah, would I yeah. die if I cut a battery open to check this out? I wouldn't, I, I don't I don't think it's that unsafe, but you, you would, uh, I'm trying to think of a simple analogy um, that's, I'm trying to think. But it makes, so it, I, it makes sense to me though, because if they're not touching hmm. there, you've got this, abundance and almost like a buildup of pressure with the positive and then you would assume as you connect it to the negative it's like a vacuum so then that positive is going to flow into the negative and that's why batteries die because the negative then doesn't reintroduce it to the positive the negative like absorbs whatever's coming out of the positive yeah i um Hang on, let me think for a sec, because because <laughs> uh, I'm not. This is not. Uh, you didn't anticipate wanna, talking I, about I, this. I want to be very. <laughs> I don't. I want to be careful as to not mislead anybody, because um, I, what I suggest is everyone, if, if anyone's interested in this stuff, Google. you have to look it up from the very basics and like understand, get the terms correct. But basically, from what I remember, electricity. <sighs> If you can call it flow, which is not necessarily accurate, it goes, it's like, okay, you understand heat transfer to like very basic heat transfer, right? Yeah, it's almost like osmosis, right? Heat goes into stuff where heat is not, and then it looks, it yes. seeks to get balanced. Yeah, right. So when there's a balance, there's, there's no, that's it. Like there's no flow of heat anymore. It's just, you now have an object of a consistent temperature or two objects of a consistent temperature, right? Right. So I'm making a very loose analogy, which is probably not a good idea in science. Frivolous. But... We love frivolous analogies <coughs> oh, as we speculate on science. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say you had two bricks. One of them is hot. One of them is cold. And you touch them together. Mm -hmm. Well, the heat from the hot one is gonna, going to be absorbed by the – heat only flows one way, from hot to cold. That's just logic. It's, it's, pure. it's like like nature can't behave any, any other way. So you can only lose energy in that sense. You can't, you know, heat isn't, heat isn't like intelligent, right? It's just, it, it goes to where it isn't, as you said. So you're going to, when you touch these two hypothetical bricks together, the heat from the hot brick is going to absorb into the cold brick. 
uh, well, and, and until they become the same temperature, and then they're the same temperature. So with electricity, you need a difference or a potential. I think they call it, a, but that's what voltage is. It's a potential. That's what they call it. And no one really understands electricity, by the way. I'm just going to put this, <laughs> although it sounds ridiculous, uh, no one, very few, in fact, probably only a few people truly understand what it is. They just kind of know the because, rules to like manipulate it. That's how you get your house wired. Yeah. It's just the standard. And if you follow the patterns, like you're saying, with building a circuit, you'll be okay. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's the only thing that, that everyone kind of, any, anyone can, can understand the safety aspect of it. Anyone can understand, oh, that cord is frayed. I better replace it or oh, that PowerPoint is on, I better turn it off if I'm not using it. So the good thing about electricity is, is that in practical use, the technicians know how to install it. The homeowners know how to be safe with it. The engineers who build power plants know how to generate it, or if it's even cold generation. But no, but in scientific terms, very, uh, very few people, if any, truly understand it. And... Uh, I can't, of course, that's not a statement I can just prove uh, because it, it, it sounds kind of ridiculous. It's like, well, how can scientists, we've had hundreds of years of modern science and how can we don't understand it? Well, we don't. Yeah. And um, you, you can look this up for yourself. Uh, we, we know how to study it and we know something about it, obviously, but we don't really understand it because there's even a debate and I know this is actually a very skewed debate because there's a minority of scientists who do not believe that electrons even exist. Uh, that doesn't, and that sounds a bit, it sounds strange to a person who's been through high school and even who studied science and physics, but I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm like, that kind of makes sense. Um, because it's, it's like, um, it just, for example, you, you can induce, uh, let's say you have a light bulb with some wires off it and it's not connected to anything. And if you have the right magnets and you move the magnets near the, you can create, you can create light in that light bulb. And you've just done that with a couple of magnets by moving them. Uh, and so where are the electrons coming from? Right. And, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying because I'm not trained in this kind of stuff. I, you know, but that's generally like a, a good analogy, a thought experiment. Like, where, where are the electrons coming from? If the, if electrons even exist, so um, that's interesting. It's it's some, nothing that I can. I'm not making any claims because I don't know enough. I don't know enough to make claims. But I, I do know for a fact that some scientists, although a minority, uh, do not believe in the existence of the electron or even the photon, which is a different thing altogether, which is beyond me. But it makes sense. Like, for example, uh, there's a tiny minority of scientists. I think I wish I could name them, but I've, I've forgotten uh, the guy's name. But it's published stuff. It's just not widely accepted. Uh, you can, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's not for me to say because I'm not a scientist. But um, <clears throat> sometimes to say no, this idea of light packets of light is nonsense. Uh, and they say that light is not an emission. It's a perturbation of space-time. So in a way that, like, for example, uh, 
any scientist will agree that sound is not an emission, it's a perturbation of matter. That's what it is. Uh, sound is not emitted, it is, um, it's, it's, a per, it's a perturbation of matter. So the analogy that I'm making there is with this minority of scientists, they're saying no, light is similar to that. It's a perturbation of space. It's not, there's no light particles, there's no photons. That's all like uh, simplistic, uh, whatever it is. So again, I'm not making claims, but that stuff interests me because I love it when I, I love it when you have these interesting, anything that's interesting and like a, it's still a mystery. I, I, I get attracted to that. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, it's not, the story's not over, is it, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, man, right? You think you're like humans have this consciousness and humans want to understand things that can't be seen, right? And electrons, to me, it's almost like DNA. Like how the fuck is it so small and you're telling me there's millions on millions on billions of these strands and it's only four letters though, but it's infinite yeah. amount of combos. But guess what we figured out how to do? Print it off and know what makes what. And you're like... Dude, are you, are we like, this could all be the biggest money-making ruse in the world because it's like, how do we actually know when we can't see, like zoom in on the DNA and let me see it. Maybe, I guess maybe people can, but I like, it just boggles my mind to think about it. And electrons are the same way. You talk about a nucleus and you talk about there's this pull and then we can like split atoms and it's an explosion, but then they're attracted to other atoms and that's how you make things. Yeah. And you're like... Yeah. Wait, how? Like, I've never seen something jump to another thing and all of a sudden they're bound. Like, I've glued things together, but I've never been yeah. like, wow, these headphones on my table are actually attracted to the candle that they're next to. However, the gravitational yep. pull of the earth doesn't allow them to bump into each other. But if you put them out in space, yeah. they would seek each other. And then, but then I like my mind goes, and this is super random too, but like the great trash patch in the Pacific ocean. You're like all yes. that fucking plastic. Is it, is it like ma not magnets attracted to each other? And that's how it's finding. And that's why it's just continues to go large. Or is it just happen chance that it's that much stuff floating. And if you give anything enough time and it has no purpose and it never goes away, it'll find other stuff. And then the other stuff just can't get away. It, it really is. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it is interesting <clears throat> if you let your mind go there. Well, the, the interesting you mentioned the trash patch because uh, that's actually not difficult to understand because um, with a sufficiently large body, which the Earth is, with sufficiently large amounts of water, which we do have, what happens naturally is, <clears throat> and this is actually a really interesting thing. I kind of just, I just, look, I'm 46 years old. And I just clued into this recently. So, you know, there's hope for all of us. But <laughs> look at, you know, take Jupiter. You look at it and it's like all these beautiful bands and turbulence, like there's turbulence within the turbulence within the turbulence. And it's beautiful. It really is beautiful. Well, guess what? Earth is the same. It's just that we can't see it because the only liquid, the only thing that, that's liquid enough is water and water is homogenous. Like there's no... From, from space, it just looks homogenous. But the ocean currents that on Earth are pretty much kind of the same as the the currents of the gas clouds on Jupiter, but in this, like, and this stuff happens naturally with sufficiently large bodies. 
So um, if you look at the map of the, how the ocean currents work, which I, I don't, I'm not an oceanographer, but I do know that in the Northern Hemisphere, they tend to flow one way. And in the Southern Hemisphere, I think they tend to flow the other way. I don't know. And there's the circulations. So it's not straight lines. Like, yeah, I think I, my sixth like, grade they, daughter, they I'm sorry to interrupt you, but my sixth grade daughter just failed her ocean currents test because she thought like what? water could flow through Africa. And like, I'm looking at the arrows and I'm like, girl, don't it make sense if it's flowing one way and you got a big old rock in the middle, wouldn't it like bounce off the rock and like kind of cycle? Like we live by the beach. What happens when like yeah. a wave hits the a jetty? Oh, well like it, it redirects and you're like, yeah. Um, but so anyway, I'm like, I, I was just literally picturing a sixth grader trying to understand the concepts that you're talking about and being like in a basic way. They do. The, the arrows go opposite. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, I, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I, but look, it, it is sixth grade. and um, Yeah, no, dude, it's real basic. It was simple. Yeah, it's like we, uh, I, I, I did okay. I did okay up until year eight and then things started to go, actually not too bad. I really started to mess up around year 10, year 11, year 12, where uh, I just couldn't be bothered anymore. I didn't have the right, I, I didn't have, if I had discovered all the, the the good stuff that I discovered later in life, like about mindset, attitude, um, <clears throat> um, professionalism, like you can't go through life um, being uh, just so hard to, okay, it's like, I went through the, the latter, latter half of high school kind of like, uh, I didn't like it. I was too uncomfortable with myself and all that. It's like, that's not a net. Like, all you need is the right spark and the right sort of change in mindset. And life can change for you in a matter of months. But of course, when you're just, uh, when, you're inse- when you're very insecure, like I used to be, um, you know, you do your best to shield yourself from, from the world outside. And so you're not being exposed to reality as much as you should be. And so that's a problem. Um, and so, oh, gee, well, how do I, oh, so school. So I could have done better. <laughs> I know we started on the garbage patch. Then we got to a sixth grade science test. Into your insecurities, we're about ba- we're we're random, we're unpredictable. Much like oh, isn't it electrons? Circle <laughs> like you can't predict the path of an electron, right? It just circles around the protons and the neutrons in the nucleus. Well, last time I checked, because my brother is a is an actual scientist, um, although he's he's actually I can pr- I can prove him wrong on a few things, but that's just <laughs> hum- humble bragging. But. Um, <laughs> But he, he's not, he's not, uh, for what he does though, he does it very well. And he writes, he writes uh, physics models that, that, that model ocean wave or wind generated ocean waves, uh, waves. Um, so it's, uh, you could say he's, it's, I suppose, uh, he's not an oceanographer, but what he's doing is in oceanography, I guess, but he's focused on wind-generated waves and how to model them better. And he actually, at the moment, well, up until recently, he was actually employed by the French government or department of the French government. So this is serious stuff, and he's he's very good at it. Um, 
and so he's you know he he knows his uh his lane or lanes and he does he sticks to those and he does very well um i try i try to talk him into because I'm, I'm not an entrepreneur myself but i do understand the way of thinking and i said dude you have to why don't you uh let's say what was i we were talking about the his future because he can get he can get work anywhere but it's not necessarily what he wants to do right and so i said why don't you think like an entrepreneur what would an entrepreneur do they'd write an they'd write a, a mobile app they they do this they like you could write you could create an app that does this or that like because you have all this experience which very few people have like how many people can can actually even understand the equations necessary to write code to model wind generated ocean waves so you have this knowledge has to be useful outside of itself like you you there are surely you can do stuff that can generate some passive income but he's like yeah well but he's he's working full time so it doesn't matter but um <laughs> But because uh, it's easy, like easy for me to say, because like I'm, I'm too, I'm hey. too much of a slacker to. I was gonna say because that dude, those are the best kind of people, the most creative people. I, this is a stupid generality, but it's like everyone's right? full of ideas as long as they don't do them. Because it's just uh, yeah. so much to fucking like take to make something from fruition and be like, here is the product, right? That's why yeah. like someone oh, yeah. like Elon Musk who just fucking rattles things off and is able to like formulate it as he's thinking about different things it's like right. oh shit you can you can produce that while you're thinking about it where other people just have the thought but they can't follow the steps or make like the business plan or the flow chart to get it done oh yeah i'm because as i said uh, easy for me to say because i'm not naturally a business person like i'm not i i, I could be a good employee in a corporation but i myself am not Although I understand the entrepreneurial mindset, no problem. I understand it. I'm just not that sort of person. Um, so I'm not a. I don't. I'm not a good hustler, and I mean that in it. Like... Yeah, I don't. You'd cut off for a second there. That's. Let's not confuse, because it's tempting to confuse hustling with, with a hustler with a shyster, right? Um, which is, we're a huckster. Those are not the same thing. A hustler is someone who's like, snippety snap, wake up at six. Yeah, you put you know, have work. a cold shower, wake, you know, uh, do, make some phone calls, do, do, knock, some, do, knock on some doors, you know, because I, uh, <clears throat> I follow the film industry, or at least the ind uh, as far as independent filmmakers are concerned, um, because I'm, I'm involved in theatre, which... And in theater, the one thing that, that theater has, which cinema seems to be lacking, is that you, you, you're, if you're a decent, half-decent theater company and you want to put on a production, you will, ne you, will, <clears throat> you will never put on a script that isn't tight, that isn't good, because you know that if, a, if, if, if people are sitting there looking at a bunch of actors on a stage, that script has to be like <clears throat> A plus. And in cinema, 
the script doesn't have to be A plus because they can they try and make up for it with visuals and uh, sound and uh, explosions and uh, which is I'm not knocking it because I like both, both I like both <laughs> forms of storytelling uh, and they actually both have their strengths like there are some stories that are better told on stage they just really are like they would not work on screen at all it would actually be boring. Um, but on stage, they're really exciting. And it's like, you can't explain why, it just is. And so uh, it, it, so I, I, I like, uh, one of my hobbies is writing. And I'm not, and I'm actually okay at it, but you know what I'm not good at? And I'm still, tr- I'm, I'm, I've been studying this for several years and I still can't get it right. Yeah. I still don't know. I have really good ideas, I think. <clears throat> I love my ideas. I think I've got good ideas for scripts. Um, but guess what? Here's the thing I don't know how to do properly. Write a story. Mm. And that's a very specific statement because a story has structure, it has discipline, it has flow, it has beats, it has a resolution and it has a direction. And I remember once I did a workshop a couple of years ago indirectly related to my theatre company. Uh, and there was a, an experienced, very good, very experienced uh, uh, writer who was hosting this workshop. Uh, and uh, I submitted a thing that I wrote a few years ago, which I thought, I, I just, you know, you get these ideas and you write it. And he said, I really enjoyed that. You, you write dialogue really well. It was a great idea. But uh, where was it? But I have one question for you. Where's it going? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, I never thought of that. Right. <laughs> because I thought, why? What's the, I thought? Well, I'm just going to write a really interesting conversation, which is like, it is an interesting conversation. But for a story, it has to have a direction and a resolution. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> it's I, I, it's I've spoken a, to a couple of people who like studied stories and studied film. And so I'm an English teacher and I know like the basic elements of a plot, right? And I can talk about whatever, a character arc. But when you talk to someone who's actually gone to school, like a film student who goes to NYU and they start to explain all the decisions that go into a 20 second choice of what I'm going to do for a character and the ramifications of the story and what it eliminates by this occurring at this moment, you're like, that's overwhelming. Yeah. And you make a million is, of those like, decisions. Like all the time. You make a million of those decisions when you're writing a story. Yes. Um, it's, uh, you, look, you look at a... I'm trying to think of something that we both know fairly well and hopefully that your audience will know fairly well and I can... Okay. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is Rear Window. I'm pretty sure you've seen it. Yeah? Um, I have not. I'm actually going to have to Google that. <laughs> oh, no, dude. Yeah. Okay. Although you might um, give me something to watch this weekend. Rear Window? Uh, yeah. It's, From 1954? It yes. Really? No, it's... never. Oh, damn. Okay. So, no, because well, and was... you can roll with it. So just a summary in case people have not. Director Alfred Hitchcock. The story yep. of a recuperating... News photographer who believes he has witnessed a murder confined to, oh, I've seen, dude, they've redone this so many fucking times. Disturbia is the one I've seen. 
um, oh, with well, Shia I haven't, LaBeouf. I haven't seen that. Okay, yeah, it was like okay. redone. The kid winds up getting an accident. And he thinks his neighbors killed somebody. It, but I guess this would be the original. So sorry, let me finish. Confined to a wheelchair after an accident, he spends his time watching the occupants of neighboring apartments through a telephoto lens and binoculars and becomes convinced that a murder has taken place. Yeah, that's and it is. Uh, no, I haven't seen Disturbia. In fact, I probably would. Um, uh, where I'm staying right now, they have Netflix, so uh, I might see if they have it there. It might be worth, probably worth watching, actually. But um, it's a teenager. Sorry? No, well, it's just like a teenager. He breaks his leg and it, it's the same plot. He's in like a suburban town and he starts to notice some shit go down. And, you know, you try okay. to figure out like, is this real? What's not real? Do I risk going out there? Is my life in danger? Stuff like that. Right. Okay. That, that sounds actually like the story I'd like. But, uh, well, of course I would because it's based on a rear window. <laughs> um, but uh, so... I like Rear Window for several reasons, and but it's, it, but but as far as story goes, and direction and progression, it's it's actually it's 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 simple but so beautifully crafted. Because you, and one thing, the secret of a good story, in my opinion, is a really solid prologue, and this is where a lot of movies they just they try to rush through the script. It's like I'm not I'm not getting into the mood here. Like you just you're just in a rush to tell this to shoot the script. You're not actually you're not actually inviting the viewer into this world, right? Yeah, well it sets and the so, tone, right? The prologue, now you got the rules, now we're on the same page. We've kind of assumed whatever's put out there we assume to be true. And now we understand the direction. We understand the starting point. Yeah, so you've got in, in, in Rear Window, the prologue is actually kind of simple, but it establishes the characters, which is kind of, it's, and it establishes the, the location, it establishes the characters, it establishes the mood even. And it's such a great film because it proves as if, as if we need proof, but you don't have to have fast paced, you don't have to have fast paced story for people to be gripped to the story. Like there are moments like Henry window where the, the, uh, it progresses kind of like very steadily. And then there are moments where it's like, there's like a lull and it's like, you're just soaking in the atmosphere. But it's still relevant. Like then it's not, that's not like indulgent, but it's like, <clears throat> you're actually just enjoying the process of watching the film. And you're like, this is, it, it's when you say you'll probably, figure out what I'm talking about. Um, and it's the sort of story that you would think could work on stage, but it actually it can't, which is a shame because it would be great hypothetically to put that on uh, as a stage play. But um, so it doesn't, it's not a fast paced story and it's, it's set in one location. And yet, because the script is so well written, the audience is just, Never, never bored. And that's, uh, that's the thing. It's like, <clears throat> you can do anything in, in, as a script writer, you can do anything, but you can't be boring. Why do you think it wouldn't work on stage if it's set in that one location? It actually sounds like it'd be perfect for stage. You would think so. But I'm going to make a, 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 and I'm going to quickly ask you if you've seen a film called Buried. Say it one more time. Buried? Buried. 
buried. It's a, it's about a guy who is in a coffin, buried. He's, I think he was kidnapped and he was put in a coffin and yeah. buried underground. Ryan in Reynolds. Iraq. So I did not see that because that is one of my biggest fucking fears. I've like woke up screaming, thinking I'm trapped alive. Wow. Oh, um, God. Like Kill Bill, that was one of the cooler scenes in Kill Bill, if you'd seen that, where Uma Thurman breaks out of the coffin and then like digs through the ground. I have not seen that. Oh, dude, you'll fucking love Kill Bill. Are you serious? You haven't seen okay. Kill Bill? I haven't seen it. Do you not like Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> I love Quentin Tarantino. I just I haven't watched probably more than two of his films, so I, I now have got some catching up to do. Yeah, you, dude, you have way too many interests. You got to get way more lazy in your life and just watch four hours of film. Um, yeah, dude, oh, it's, yeah. it's two it's two films on itself. So I, each one's like two and a half hours. Um, but yeah, wow. Kill Bill is amazing for the characters, for the development of the revenge, for just flashbacks, right? Weaving stories together and uh, the oh, use of dialogue. That. Oh, God, I love that. Yeah, God, I, I love that. I loved, uh, pop, I'm telling you, Pulp Fiction, one of the great, great films yeah one of the great films of all time like and and by the way similar idea but very different execution is magnolia Do it's not a paul thomas anderson film okay well let's Mag i guess i should quit distracting you so much my friend because i should keep some sort of structure <laughs> to this conversation because what i was interested in is you brought up barry to talk about how it wouldn't work out though it's set in one place on a stage much like rear right. window yeah so here's why and i'm not going to spoil it you would think that a film literally the whole film is set in the coffin like you're with the, the character in the coffin and you think this has to work on stage but no it can't because part of the reason is it's 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 your effective set is six feet wide and people sitting in the middle and back rows they're just going to be looking at a guy partially illuminated in a box for 90 minutes or whatever how long the film is or how long the script is you can't in my opinion, that can't that film that script can't work on the stage, even though it's it's just a guy in a box. No, but that's a great point. Yeah, because the point of view doesn't it, change. You, like you don't get you don't get a cut in. You don't get a focus as a scene. You're always seeing the it. whole scene. Yeah, that's a great point. Because there are saying. yeah, because there are some props. Obviously, every film, every well, not necessarily, but look, he's got his phone with him, obviously, because uh, the, the hijackers had. I don't know. They, I can't. I can't remember the, the details. But so he has a phone with him, um, and I think he has some stuff in his pockets. Which uh, you know, so you can't, you can't have this small box doing which nothing moves just about. Uh, you have these small props where you do need the. You do need to vary the angle. You do need to. So that sort of film if anyone has seen that film yeah well, I, I i would be i would be impressed if you think you can adapt that for the stage i i, I will pray for your soul because i don't think it can be done yeah, but if so, you can do it so the summary and i guess just in case anybody listening the summary who hasn't heard civilian truck driver in iraq falls victim to a band of insurgents 
An unknown length of time later, Paul awakens in a coffin with little more than a lighter, a cell phone, and his ever-growing anxiety. That's a great line. Faced with a dwindling oxygen supply and a dying battery, Paul must fight panic, despair, and delirium as he awaits a rescue that might not arrive in time. So yeah, if you just go with that summary, basically maybe you would like start with him in the box and then try to like have some sort of scene change where he gets hijacked. Then you're like flipping back and forth to the box just to break up the monotony if it's on stage is what I'm immediately thinking, right? And then maybe you cut away to if you do have some sort of connection with a rescue plan, you get some side characters, you see them trying to like figure out and deal with where is Paul and then you like bring him back on the in the box in the coffin onto the stage like you'd have to break it up somehow like that yes in it's order a, to just give it, the audience yeah. different to give him a break it's a, you do, you would need you would need to re, basically rewrite the script i love how i'm talking about plays like i've done shit with them i'm a middle school language arts teacher i'm like nah man here's what you got to do <laughs> <laughs> I've written several <laughs> short stories. <laughs> what, yeah. do you, what do you mean several short stories? Uh, about a paragraph and a half. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, oh, I don't know. That's, I'll just think of stupid story I, starters. I've never like finished one. But it. I think about stories a lot and I think about the techniques and I read and I'm exposed to so many different books where like you do start to gain some you start to notice some tendencies of what is successful. And the coolest thing that I get exposed to is I get real time ex reactions from teens, from 11 to 14 year olds about what keeps their interest and what they're drawn to and remember within a story. If you read for 20 minutes and you cover 15, 18 pages, you'll be amazed. You'll think something's really cool. And to kids, it's something completely different. You're like, wait, all you cared about was the fact that he tripped. What about the fact that he just saved an entire orphanage? It was like, nah, it was hilarious yeah. that he tripped. It was like, no, that was supposed to be suspenseful. <laughs> They're like, no, 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 dude, it was totally right. comedy. And you're like, God. Yeah, isn't it? It's like um, a lot of great things happen by accident. And if you write a story thinking that, oh, my audience is going to love how he rescues the orphanage, and then you, you get feedback from the younger readers, and they're like saying, yeah, but I prefer this, this bit, but this bit over here was much more interesting. It's like, could not, how do you, you, you can't foresee it, which makes it so much fun because you yeah. don't know. These authors don't know, like, they don't know what their, what their work's going to do. They have no idea. Let I mean, I'm sorry uh, to interrupt the, the, no, we well, I think we're just going to kind of interrupt each other every once in a while. That's just the default of zoom and not being able to do yes. the whole body language thing, you know? Um, yeah. But I'm super curious about, like, did you grow up as a story reader? How did you get so into the, like, the the, the film scene or the acting scene or the theater scene? Um, well, I, okay, it's, it's not my industry, but when I was young, I loved reading, like most kids do, actually. Like, most kids like dinosaurs. Um, most kids like reading. In fact, most kids love reading um, because... It, it, it ignites your imagination and it gets you into, you're absorbed and immersed in different worlds. And some, some books have a, some stories are actually very immersive, whereas some are kind of not so much. But so. Well, I, um, if I could just add, because I'd be interested if you think about this. I think not yeah. only does it immerse kids, but I think it's the natural development of how people seek identities as they grow. 
So as a kid, you do a ton of role playing, right? And you always want to dress up. You always want to act like other stuff. And you get to do that as you read and you get to, even if it's subconsciously, connect to, am I comfortable in this situation? How would I act or react to this event happening to me? And I think it allows you to formulate who you are without actually having to experience and risk all the things that come with becoming the person in the story. Like you can realize I love my family by reading about someone losing their family. And now all of a sudden you're like, wow, like family time does matter. That's interesting. Um, that's, that's probably, a, uh, you could say if we want to get academic about it, that's a <laughs> developmental psychology kind of question, isn't it? Yeah. I, yeah. And I, and I, yeah, that makes so much sense because I'll tell you a very quick story. When I was quite young, like maybe five, no, maybe six, seven, eight years old, my friend and I, oh, we, <laughs> we were young, we had, we had bikes, and we used to watch the Batman TV series, right? And we were crazy about, we loved it. And we would role play like to the Bat Cave. And so we, our bikes would be in the stairwell. And we'd go to the stairwell, and our bikes are like the Batmobile. And, and, I was, and, and we, we made up our minds, dead serious. Like he was going to change when, when, when it was leaked. When we found out that you could legally change your name, he was going to, he, he said, when, when I turn 18, whatever, I'm going to change my name to Bruce Wayne. And I said, I'm going to change my name to Dick Grayson. Like dead serious. Like, no, right. this was for real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he actually said to me once, and this, and this uh, when I think back on this, it tells me a lot about, how you like how you value yourself and how insecurity can make you devalue yourself. Mm. Um, he said, why don't you play Batman this time? I said, no, I don't want to play Batman. Cause I'm like, no, I didn't want to be in front. Oh, Right. But now I'm like, these days I'm like, I'm comfortable with, I can be a number 10. I can be a number two. I can be a number one. Hypothetically. Not that, you know, it's take any field. I, I, I could be, comfortable as a CEO as much as I can be as a technician with his sleeves rolled up in the basement working on, on in the skunk works. It doesn't matter. But insecurity limits you so much. And you, if you don't even know what it is, you don't know, you don't, you know, you're miserable. Well, you're not miserable, but you know that occasionally you're miserable and you, you try to push that away and you, you're in denial and you don't grow properly. So <clears throat> that was my um, the, one of the themes of my childhood was, although it was fantastic because I grew up in the eighties, which, uh, it's it, it, my favorite decade is the nineties, but the eighties, uh, in terms of the energy in the eighties, the, the culture, it was electric. Like there's no decade like it. Well, it's, it's like, like the it, birth of cable, right? So you have this influx of options. It almost goes with the whole seeking identity thing. Like you can start seeing people do things, music videos, movie, home box office, where you're exposed. Like you can, your parents can't keep you away from certain elements by saying you can't go to the movie theater and then it's done because now it's coming yeah. towards you and you're yeah. seeing clips of it in places like magazines are becoming more risque and it, it people just 
it's the birth of not the I guess maybe the birth of the internet. I think the internet started in the eighties, right? But people weren't no, online, but information in, no, was like getting transferred in that way. The internet, as far as I remember, it's like the, 70s. The, the, the Department of Defense started it, I think, in the late seventies, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. But I, I could be wrong. No, but, but I think when people think we, of internet had, now, you think of access like www AOL, where you can just search yeah. shit up, which that wasn't the eighties at all. But you no, did that, have no. like call caller ID and star 69 and shit like that, where you like could spend hours on the phone with friends and you could find <laughs> out could. what you was could. going on in different towns oh. and you could organize so much better. And your, your, your neighborhood grew without having to move. Cause you just were exposed to all sorts of different things that are outside of your normal every day. And it yeah, is weird yeah, to think about now. This, yeah, I mean, we never. The good thing about growing up in that decade is that you were even wealthy kids were not spoiled because you had to really work. Like you had, it, you couldn't just. Nowadays, you can just buy a PlayStation and a 4K TV. Great, nothing wrong with that at all. But back in the eighties, you could be as rich as you wanted, but. You couldn't force a computer to give you photorealistic uh, graphics. You was you had the rich man had the same Atari as the poor man. There's no literally no difference. But now, um, the wealthier you are. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, if there is like I mean, like a, if you look at a cell phone compared to a house phone, right? When you're growing yeah. up, did you ever go over to somebody's house and be like, dude, that is a state of the art fucking house line? Nope. No, Never no, did. No, it was no. it was all the same. Like maybe when you went from rotary to push button, like maybe that was it. And then the cordless oh, jump was probably a big deal. Oh, dude, no, that was the big deal. The cordless, yeah, right. That was like when when we were uh, teenagers. Like my some of our friends had cordless. I'm like, oh man, you lucky bum. That would be so awesome because you can take the phone out into the backyard. Yeah. And that was the like that was the, and it wasn't. Like it sounds just, it was simple, but it's like that was what made your eyes pop open. It wasn't size or it wasn't. Yeah, the functionality the was just like a fucking walkie talkie. Like, it, it really is yeah. weird compared to if you compare yeah. cell phones now, which are status symbols of like, oh, it's the Apple 13 versus a Samsung Galaxy 22 versus yep. a Google. And you're like, yep. wow, like those are very different, almost not, not so much political, but. There's associations with you're an Apple person, you're an Android person, you're a Google person. Where back then it was just like everybody got a phone. <laughs> like yeah. it, it wasn't your <laughs> your house line did not say anything about you other than you got a house line. It wasn't like oh you're a yeah. Zenith TV person, I'm a Sony TV person. It was like nothing like yeah. that. It was just like you got a TV, no. cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's pretty much, and it's it's still the same today in some ways. With some things, it's like <clears throat> even the car you drive isn't that big a deal because, like, it's not hard. Like, you know, cars are abundant and there's nothing particularly innovative about them. So you look at a guy with a Ferrari, which I love, but like, like that's cool. But like, I don't. My eyes don't pop open to that because I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't, don't need it. You know, I can admire it, and I, I it's like. But there are some things which I'm like, a few things, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't mind that. But I have to wait a little bit till I get more money for that. 
um, but <clears throat> because my uh, my take uh, as a photographer, uh, although I haven't really worked in photography for a while for obvious reasons, but or for various reasons actually, but remember I'm a slacker too, so that that's <laughs> explains why. But one of the things that that every when I started learning about photography in my teens, one of the things that immediately stuck out was as a photographer interviewed in a magazine who wasn't even a professional, by the way. And he said, well, he, he photographed uh, rally, rally cars. Just for, He did it for fun, for goodness sakes. And um, he, he said, whenever I go to a rally and I see a group of photographers at a particular space, I go in the opposite direction and I try to find a place where no one else is. Mm. Because you don't want to be... Who wants to be... I know it's contextual. So at a tennis match, you don't have a choice. They put you in a box. Like, that's your photographer's box. Right. It's fine. But when you've got... Like, when you... When you cut out... Do a steak. Oh, did I? Yeah, okay. just for a second. I wasn't, I'm never sure with the dead. Um, but the last thing I heard, you're in a tennis box and you get put in that box. You don't get to choose okay. what angle you yeah. want to go with. Yeah, so you don't, if you're photographing a tennis match, you can't choose your perspective. It's chosen for you. And that's fair enough. Nothing wrong with that. But when you're photographing a rally or a landscape or a news event, you sh it's your, the first thing a photographer has to put into his mind is, where can I go where no one else is? Hmm. And that stuck with me. Like, that's like perfect, beautiful. It's like, exactly. It's like, that's, it's such a simple statement, but it's, some people don't think of it like that. Um, because you know, the saying, everyone, everyone wants to go where the party's at, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like, this is, this is why this explain it's, it's human psychology, which, and that, and as long as we understand it, we don't have to. We don't have to be contrarian to everything, right? That's not what I'm saying. But because sometimes, ah, maybe that spot where everyone else is actually kind of makes sense. But here, here's where you have to, and, and any, and this is, this goes for forget photography because most a lot of your audience are not photographers. But think of this lesson as the which which I one of the lessons which I took to heart very early, and I'm like. It's part of my DNA now. Whatever profession you're at, think about it like this. There's a place in the Grand Canyon, I think. It's called the, the Arch. There's this beautiful arch, marble arch. I don't know what it's called. Do you know what it's called? The, I do it's not. This big, okay, it's this beautiful, naturally formed arch made out of red stone or something. And every fucking photographer photographs that fucking thing. It's like, it's like enough already. And like, I don't want to photograph that fucking thing because everyone else has done that for deck, like for a hundred years. I don't need another fucking marble arch photo, whatever it's called. But even if you wanted to photograph it, you have to, when you, if you, if you go to that spot, you have to think, where is everyone, look at where everyone is and then go to some, go to a place where no one is. And that, that isn't always the correct thing to do in, in, in life in general, but you have to always keep this in mind whatever profession you're in whether where no one else is that's where you should be it's the zag it's it's the zag man because what's valuable is what is rare 
And it's risky because you might not be special. You might not be creative, right? There's safety in the herd and you know, there's success in the herd. So you can follow the path, you can duplicate, you can emulate. And now you're boxed in to as far as that group wants to expand, right? You're limited because if you leave, now you've lost your connections. Um, but it's, it's a zag, it's a zag concept. Um, and I was just Googling. So it's the delicate arch without a doubt. Delicate, oh, delicate arch. arch. Why did I, is why the did most, I call it the marble arch? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's the most famous natural stone arch in the world referred to okay. as the arch by many arriving visitors for whom it is number one on their must see lists. 46 feet high light opening breath. Um, so yeah, I mean like it may, maybe you take, you know what else is like that? And I don't know, this is just fucking random. But like when people see wings painted on the side of a building and have to oh, go take God, pictures, dude. Oh my God. it's like, that has to be a thing. It's like, is that the new fucking tramp stamp? Like, is that the replacement for the nineties oh. girls that had like the little arch on the smaller of their back? <laughs> yeah. So now yes, they don't want to keep it all permanent. And we just put my back to it. And this is representative of my soul, my spirit, a butterfly. And I'm like, I, I don't, everyone has it. I don't fucking get it. <laughs> Uh, uh, the funny, that's the funniest thing because I was joking with a friend of mine because he suggested I try the dating apps, which, which is fine. Like, I'm like, okay, I'll give my go. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not, I don't like the idea of it, but anyway. So I thought, let me give it a go. <clears throat> Dude, I would love to get and into that. Your perspective, just, just hearing your perspective on different things. I feel any topic you bring up now, I want to get your perspective on. Oh. But finish your story. I'll, I'll come back. I wrote it down, dating apps. I want to know what that's like, especially in Australia. That'd be interesting. Okay. So I noticed that, that uh, and I'm sure that, by the way, women have, because I'm only seeing women. So I would love to know the woman's perspective of what's the, what do men always fucking do on these apps? So I noticed that women... So many women have photographs of themselves in front of wings, painted mural wings and painted on walls. That's one of the cliches that I see a lot. It's like, oh, God, not again. There's also, I notice that women like, they tend to like hiking in the beach a lot. And I'm like, dude, I can't, I, I can't do, I can do hiking um, because you're, you're moving. Like, I love movement. In fact, we're talking now, um, uh, I'm actually, I pay, when I'm on the phone with someone, I always pace up and down because I loathe sitting down when I'm talking to someone on the phone. Uh, I can't do it. It's, it's like, no, it's not me. I have to keep, I have to pace. So I'm pacing right now. So hiking, yeah, I, it's, it's not easy, but I can, I, I'd give it a go. But the beach, dude, there's no air con, there's no shelter. And these women, they, they go to the beach. I don't know what the hell is with women in the beach. They love the beach. I don't know why. Um, I love the beach in winter when it's when it's fresh and crisp and cold and mm. beautiful and you know the I love that part of the beach. But in the summer, me I, I can't do it. You know, it's like no, thank you. So I, I notice patterns like what do women tend to like in general, and I want I would love to know what women think of us too. But yeah, well, I uh, so, the know. dating app has to be so weird when you're posting shit, cause it's like you wanna create a brand to be bought. And then you're trying to figure out your target audience and what their desires are. So you wanna model yourself or have yourself represented in a particular way to draw particular attention 
from particular people. And I'm like, yeah. or am I even overthinking that from a marketing aspect? And it's just like, girl, I think I'm cute. Click, 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 click. Done. <laughs> you know, like yeah. maybe someone's like, girl, that's a great picture. You should put that up. And they're like, all right. And it's that simple. Yeah, it could be. Um, I think um, I, 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 I don't doubt that. I, I think women, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and, 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 and I'm happy to be corrected here. Because I don't know enough, I don't know enough psychology. But I try to obs- I observe. I started to observe. Uh, it's going to sound stalky, but I, pr- I promise it's not. But I, I observe <laughs> young women, young women, and I, I try to notice what shoes they're wearing, especially if, if they're with their friends. So groups of groups of young women. <laughs> this includes t- teenage girls too. And I look at what shoes they're wearing, and a lot of the time they're the same shoes, and I'm like. And, and that's that's not, by the way, uh, women women just keep doing you. I, I'm not trying to change anybody's behavior. I'm just trying to observe behavior. And I noticed that women, maybe especially maybe the young women more than the, the, the more mature women, they tend to uh, have more alignment with each other in terms of taste. So they'll wear the same shoes maybe or they'll have the same brand of, I don't know, they're all... For example, when I was growing up in the 90s, um, a lot of young women wore, uh, had loved the Country Road label, which is an Australian label, which I don't know if you have that over there. Not I don't know that. if they sell. But if, if any of your listeners know Country Road, it's a classic. In the 90s, it was big. You had the these Country Road... Uh, 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 everyone knows the Country Road jumper, the... the, the what you call a pullover, so it's not a woolen sweater. It's more of a, it's a, what you wear in spring. It's a, it's a long sleeve thing that looks like a sweater, but it's not made of knitted wool. It's just cotton. It's, I don't know what you would call that. A, a, okay, I'm almost uh, wondering if it's maybe. like a Henley or something like that. But go ahead. I yeah, so that, and it, it, you know, with the simple, it's just one color and it has country road written on the front across the breast. And it's like classic 90s. Uh, fashion, uh, like classic 90s apparel is that country road jumper. And so some of, you know, a lot of people who are over, well over, probably over 30 or over would know what I'm talking about. Um, Anyway. uh, And it's funny, just Googling it, 90s reissue Australian made unisex sweat, country road. Oversized bat wing sleeve. Yeah, man, it's just basically like a like 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 a sweatshirt. <laughs> That's all it looks yeah. like. It's just That's a sweatshirt. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing girl, special. But, Real basic. Oh, but yeah, but uh, girls loved those back then and uh they would also remember the type of footwear was very different back then. Very different. But any but and, and they look good, like a lot of a lot of girls look really good. They they can they knew how to wear that stuff. Um but that a man would never wear that. Like it's just it's it's it doesn't look feminine, but only a woman would look good in it. Huh. But the, the point I'm making, and the, because it's like it, and and it's like, uh, and the reason I said it's partly cultural awareness. Like it's not like a robot would think there is nothing wrong with this shirt on a man. But if you understand the culture, you kind of get you get what I'm coming from. Um, it's just like 
it's like some there are some shoes which technically a man could wear, but like no man should wear that shoe. It's just like don't do that. And I noticed that. So I think what I'm trying to get at is I think women tend to be very aligned with each other, uh, and and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that they're they're unthinking. It just means that's how they behave. And um, oh, I knew that I was making a point. Now, oh, dating apps—that's where we. Were. <laughs> so that explains why so many girls on dating apps they have this picture of themselves with the angel wings. It's like, it's like, uh, of course you do. It's like, it's. Yeah, I wonder. I do wonder um, what it represents. Like, does it represent freedom? Does it represent fun? Does it represent adventure? Does it represent you're changing? Like. What is the, what, what is being know. spoken? Well, how do you take it? When you see the adventure wings, aside from, oh God, yeah. fucking copycat, maybe the yeah. first time you saw it, because there had to be a first time before you realize this is predictable, right? Do you, do you remember yeah. your impression when you first saw it? Yeah, I don't think it's that deep. Although you can, you can actually, you, there's no, you can actually go further and say, actually, there is something deeper to it. But I don't think the impulse is that deep. It's like, it's like, oh my god, you have to get a, you have to get a picture of me in front of these things. Oh it's no, dude, I'm like talking a, about, I'm talking about your impression. So try to think back oh, to the first time, whatever. And yeah. I, I don't know, is the dating app there? Like, is it as simple as Tinder or Bumble, like we have over here? Yep. Yep. All right. Same. So we'll just throw it on Tinder. So first Tinder picture, the first time you see a girl with the what? wings on the background. What do you yeah. think about that girl? What perception do you get of her? Um, I actually can't remember. I don't think it wasn't particularly, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But, you know, typical girl thing to do. But uh, it would, I, I'm like, okay, like, whatever. Gotcha. It's, that's all I thought. I'm like, I didn't, it wasn't, I didn't think it was particularly. So non-impactful. Yeah, not, it was just non-impactful. I was like, okay. Huh. Fair enough. I guess. I guess. Fair enough. Like it's. It's like you can imagine. as like it's so tempting. You just have to do it, right? It's like it's the sitting in front of you, right there. Of course, you're gonna do it. Yeah, that's the point. That's the point. We actually yeah. thought. Um, I I want to say it was a thing. Um, we went to Nashville with my daughter, and she's a big Taylor Swift fan. And right. I thought the wing thing. At least we thought started in Nashville and went to go find it and apparently got painted over, but then you could find one like every four blocks because it just makes people stop in front of your restaurant. And then you hope, Oh, they'll come into the business. That's well, that's pretty smart. I, yeah. Right? I, that's kind of, I, I like that kind of thing. It's like, it makes sense. It's like, let's, let's say we, we can get people's attention and they might do something with this. And yeah. Uh, that make, uh, and I it could, builds and it that. actually goes all the way back to the garbage patch thing where now you've got this energy focused on these wings and these people taking pictures. And if you're walking by, you almost immediately have to at least stop. If Even if you don't stop, you look. And now you feel some sort of like weird social pressure where it's like, wait, is this what you're supposed to do? <laughs> is this like, yeah. am I not doing That's something right. right if I don't stop and take a picture with this? Because clearly there's a line so it must be a thing that you do and it's like is it i don't know that's i think that's part of it uh i think it is part of it i mean look when you're on a road trip it, it, it's like 
you've got you can do whatever you want. So you're like, what the hell? It's like, does it doesn't hurt anybody? It's it's boring, but doesn't doesn't hurt anybody. So it's like, go for it. If it makes, you know, if it's something for your Instagram feed, I don't. It's just or just just doing it for the ironically, even I suppose. What the hell, right? Like, yeah, it's it's like, but but. So uh, uh, I I got reminded of uh, back in '92. It was very late '92. We were in um, in in France for a vacation, and um, we were at the Louvre, and I had a camp because I was just I was uh, probably a year into to photography that I have actually had a camera, and, uh, but I wasn't. I was still very insecure, so I wasn't. You know, a normal kid would have gotten some kind of job so he can buy himself a shit ton of film. Yeah. But do you think, you know, I'm, but I was, of course, you know, uh, I wasn't even a good kind of slacker. I was a bad kind of slacker where I was afraid of everything. I didn't want to do anything new or challenging because it was too scary. So um, anyway, so we were in France and I was at the museum and, and I knew already then, like there are some things I did want to take photos of because oh, that could make a good photo. Like I, I don't. I, photography was not about because you know, like there's a difference between. Uh, and 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 I'm, and I'll quickly take another friggin' uh, 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 excursus here very quickly. There's a difference <laughs> between a, a a snapshot and a photograph, although they're the same thing. But the terms, there's a bit of a difference, and it's like. With a snapshot, um, the photograph serves the subject, right? So I need a record of this thing. I need to show you this. Here's a receipt. Look at this beautiful house that I saw, right? So it's, it's purely I think it about... is more spontaneous. Snapshot, spontaneous. Photograph seems more like staged. Uh, maybe. I, I don't see it that way. I, I, okay. I, it's because you can, you can, you can take a a photograph very quick, like in, a, in the blink of an eye, and you can think like the whole process can be in the blink of an eye. Um, by the way, can you hear me still? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, good, good. Oh, good. Okay, I just thought for some reason. Anyway, um, <laughs> but a photograph is where the subject serves the photograph. Sorry, the, the subject serves the photograph, and I'm not saying it properly, but so in other words. A, a photograph is, it doesn't matter what the subject is, it exists for the sake of the camera. Whereas mm. a snapshot is very basic note-taking, record-taking. So that's, that's I, I it's, um, I, I, but the end of the day, like. Dude, I've not heard that before. That's, that's like really deep. That's very philosophical. It's, it's almost. Oh yeah, for me. Like to replace the person to be like, you don't matter. It's yeah. like, it, it's iconic. I'm trying to think of an example. Do you have an example in your mind of a photograph where it wouldn't have mattered who the subject was, but the photograph would have been amazing? Of course. Um, although it's, I, I should have more examples than just one or two, but there's a photograph by Andreas Feininger, I think, of, a, of another, he took a photograph of another photographer. Uh, so the background is white. The photographer is holding a Leica up against his face in a vertical position. And it's photographed with a spotlight. Mm. And 
it's very iconic. I don't know if you can, if you'll be able to find it. Um, I don't know what the title of the photo is, but if you search for finding a portrait like a, you might see it. Yeah, I, and I'm going to, I guess, try to multitask. How do you spell his name? F-E-I-N-I-N-G-E-R. Okay. Photographer. Nothing is coming up. Oh, shit. I autocorrected to famous concert photographer. <laughs> <laughs> of course, fucking Google got me. Autocorrect. No doubt. Spell his one name. Spell his name. This is riveting podcasting. Spell his name again. F E I N. F E I N I N. I N. G E R. Is it Lionel Feininger? German American painter? Oh, no. Andreas. Andreas Feininger. Yeah. Gotcha. Wow, he does have. I'm just going through his images. One, the biggest example, and I don't know if it's because, oh, there it is right there, dude. It pops up if you go images. So the dude almost looks like he has a beret on, and you can only see his face, but it's a silhouette except for his face. And it looks like he's wearing binoculars, but it's a camera. Yes, that's the one. Oh, dude, yeah, that's. That doesn't. Yeah, that, I mean, that is a really cool picture. Now, that, that's his. Like, uh, if he could be remembered for one photograph, that would probably be the one. That's a great It's point. like, and that's, so that's where the subject serves the image. It's like, you exist for the sake of the photograph. I'm not, I'm not, you know, this isn't, it's, uh, it's still scientifically, there's no difference between a snapshot and a photograph. There really isn't. Or, uh, you know, take a photo of me in front of, this beautiful house, like, so I can send it home to mom or something. It's, it's, there's no difference between, but it's like your intentions, like what matters? Does a photograph matter or does a subject matter? And for me, 99% of the time, I care only about the photographs. It doesn't mean I don't care about you. It means you exist for the sake of the photograph, as I do, right? Yeah. And there's a, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have cut you off. I apologize. Are you there? Uh-oh. is that it's all about it's a rec it's a recording medium so you're limited. You can't you can't create anything with photography, which is which I, was what I lo love about it because it's like you're limited to recording reality and of course you can manipulate photographs but that now you're that's now a new art form which is perfectly valid but it's I don't not interested in that stuff. Um, and you can do, you can create photorealistic images in the computer now with Blender and more, which costs you nothing. It's just, you can do it and nothing wrong with that at all. It's just a different thing and you, you, you can't pretend that one thing is another thing. Like photography and painting are opposites. Um, painting is creative, whereas photography is inductive. There's nothing creative in photography. Um, although... Loose, you know, using casual language, you call it a create. It's a, it's a, you can call me a creative if you want to be loose, but just general, like without thinking too much. But photography technically isn't creative at all. Um, you really don't think that's interesting. No, to me. oh no, it's not creative at all. Um, 
what you can say is that if you're a, if you photograph flowers, the flower arrangement is the creative part. Hmm. But your the photograph is not creative. Like it's not a creative medium. It's a recording medium. It's induction. It's inductive. Uh, it's just knowing how to use a camera properly doesn't make you creative. It makes you a really good technician. Not even catch uh, in an angle or the light a certain way or a particular no. moment, the anticipation of now's the time to grab this. No, that's not creative. That's not being creative. It's being observant. It's being huh. uh, disciplined. And because it's already in existence, technical. you're just the one capturing it. You're not creating yes. it. Oh, you're not. No, no photo. No, no photograph is ever made. That's because a pretty that, good point. I hadn't thought, wow. If that's the case, you can, you can, as I said, you can manipulate a photograph and create something new with it, which as long as you declare that you've done that, there's literally nothing wrong with that. But I'm not interested in making anything with photographs. I'm interested in taking photographs. And some people, like, they, they have, fun. they'll take a photograph and they'll put, they'll take a photograph of, say, a backyard and they'll, they'll, they'll paint in a dinosaur or something, right? Fine. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. There's some. There's a wedding. There's a couple of uh, wedding photographs where you see the the wedding party running away from dinosaurs in the background. That's cool. Like that's fun because you know it's not real. Like it's like no one's pretending it's real. It's supposed to be fun, and like that, that's not a photograph anymore. It's now a work of art because you've you've you're creating something. You've created at least part of that image is created. So the whole image is now uh, a, a created a created. Because the photograph is one part, which is a re you've recorded reality. That's the one part that you've added the dinosaur in the background. And you've put them together. That's a creation. And, and there's nothing wrong with it. Is everything right with it? I'm just saying Cause you're that, that te technically speaking, if, and you hear this a lot in photography, you know, good photographs are, are made, not taken. That's nonsense because a photograph can't be made. It's not possible. And I'm speaking technically. I'm not saying you can't use the language. Like, we have to be, language has to be convenient too. So if you say, well, he's a creative, he's a photographer, he's in the creative sphere of, the, of, of people, perfectly fine. But technically, it's not creative uh, at all. Not, not a single, there's literally nothing creative about photography. Um, but... But I'm, now I'm getting technical, so I, don't, I, don't, I think a lot of people don't don't want to sort of like, yeah, you're spoiling it. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to spoil anything. It's just trying to point out, trying to be clear about, you know, it, let's just be clear about it. You know, I don't like. I don't like bullshit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, no, there's. I mean, the when you break it down like that, there is something. I mean, it seems so basic, but. Yeah, what did you create? You didn't create, you captured. You didn't, what did you add? You added the ability to recall a moment in a very specific time because you captured it. You didn't make that moment. Now the staging could be the creative aspect if you're like telling someone to stand a, stand a particular way, right? But the photograph yeah. itself isn't creative. Yeah, the photograph itself is not, is not a creation. By, def by definition, by its nature, it's not a creative activity. Uh, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's let it's that doesn't mean that painting is a higher a higher form of image in a photograph. It just means that you can't 
I don't like pretending, you know what I mean? It's like uh, a photograph, if it's like, uh, I wish I could draw, I really do, but I can't. But if I could, I would do that too. And that would be, that would be properly called a creative yeah, form you know, of, uh, of image making because I'm literally making something. Yeah, that'd be, well, so, and hey, did you happen to like switch to a Bluetooth speaker or something? Or walk no, away from your phone? Uh, no, no. Okay. Sorry. No, what's... It just, you seemed a little more distant all of a sudden. Sometimes oh. people will go to like AirPods or something. And um, oh. I don't know if it's a Bluetooth thing. No, uh, no I'm, I'm, it could be. Like my, my, my Wi-Fi signal seems really good. It's like fully pretty strong, I think. Okay. Maybe there was a... Uh, a local count, one of those noisy street cleaning trucks that was just passing by. It may have been. Oh, gotcha. May have affected. Yeah. yeah. Got that noisy. So I was wondering, it got me to thinking about like, if you drew a picture of something, like if I copied yeah. a picture by drawing it, I don't know if yeah. I would say I created a picture. I think I would just be like, I copied. To create, oh, you'd have to like make yeah. something that hasn't been. You got to interpret it, put your twist on it. Oh, no. I think like anything where. You know, you 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 can take. Let's say you have a picture, you have a copy of a Picasso sketch, and you copied it with a pen and paper. It's create. It's not. It's not original, but it's creative because you made. You made that picture. You made that duplicate. Um, and it's not particularly, but it it shows that you're skilled. But it does, that's doesn't. It's not your vision. You're just copying someone. You're right. <clears throat> duplicate. It's a. You know, you're you're taking someone else's vision and creating your own version of it, but it's still technically creative, technically. Yeah. Because you've made, but taking a photograph of a Picasso, you've just mechanically, you've recorded that, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. It's like a weird little but, semantics thing about words that some people could get offended by, <laughs> I guess. I but think, at the same time, it's do. like I you mean, almost just get lost in the actual pragmatic definition of this means this. So my definition of blank, yeah. therefore the requirements to be creative are blank. You do not meet those requirements in my eye. It's not an insult. It's just very unemotionally attached to anything. Yeah, it's it's just a, trying to understand, like get, understand what it is that you're doing, and don't pretend. Um, because if you want to, if you want to to give insp inspiration to someone, you don't don't feed them nonsense. You give you, you don't say. A great photograph is made, not taken. That's bullshit because it's it's technically false. It doesn't actually impart anything. It's a, it's one of those empty statements, which is, I mean, not very helpful anyway. Yeah. How um, it, is that like an actual saying within the like photography circles? Like, why does that? And you've explained kind of like why you don't like it, but I'm curious, like, mm. how you came across it. Yeah, it's a general. Uh, um, it's a like not everyone actually would would you know put that on their t shirt or anything. But yeah, I was going to say it's, it's not a like a business card. It's not the header on their websites. <laughs> no, no, but it's it's a lot of people actually would say that. But I don't, I don't, and I, and I know what they're getting at. Like I get it. Like it's not like I'm unsympathetic. Um, but it's it's an it's empty, but sounds meaningful, but it's kind of empty at the same time. It's like it's. And it's technically false. It's not really helpful. <laughs> but uh, look, again, it's like if no one's getting hurt 
you know, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't, you know, it's not like I want people to stop saying it. It's just that I, you, you have to raise objections to think which things which I you think, hang on, sorry, excuse me, objection. Uh, I don't agree with that. That's, you know, uh, and, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, free, free speech has to rule over all that. It's like you can think of it how you want. It's, it's, there's no thought crime. It's like think of it how you want. But I, I too, am allowed to object if you say something which I think is mis, misguided. I, I have the right to object, but I don't have the right to shut you up. That's all. <laughs> that's, that's a decent – I feel like that's a pretty good way to be. Yeah. I have a right to object. It, I just don't have a right to shut you up. I feel like – like, man, that's such a simple, loving way to be not politically correct, politically understanding. Yeah, it's it's like you're not, you're not, it's just not getting lost talent. in the weeds. Right? Yeah. It's like we, we all like this. It's getting lost in the weeds can be fun, but you don't want to keep doing that throughout your life. Like yeah. You want to you wanna focus on the bigger picture. No doubt. I love big pictures. I feel I, I feel I like I'm creative them. when I take them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized. By the way, you just touched on something interesting because, uh, and I don't want to keep talking about photography because that's like you know that's not the point of this podcast. But no, well, do very quickly. The, the point of the podcast is getting to know Kareem, and if Kareem is into okay. photography, like, dude, that's okay. what people get to know about you, man. I'm I'm not yeah. uh, hating on it. Oh, but there's. There's so many interesting things we could talk about, but I'll, I'll just quickly make this interesting point. And in terms of mental health, a lot of people will tell you that people who have been grieving or who have had a loss, photography, because it encourages you to get out in the world and you're, for some reason, the whole process, it's very good for mental health. And this includes all, all this includes proper art as well, but photography is so simple. Like if you're doing it deliberately, you're at, you're going out to take photographs. People find that to be very good for mental health, and this is a theme which I've noticed. Like it's not just one photographer or two; it's a lot of photographers. A lot of people who say, you know, "This guy, his wife died. This guy, he had a I don't know whatever. Uh, he had a moment. There's this this woman I remember. She was being interviewed on a on a podcast you know, a year or two ago it helps it's um she doesn't just do it because she likes it but she does it she discovered that it's actually um it just gets her headspace clear it's uh it's the natural way to deal with mental health issues like and i noticed this a lot and I, it's like i suppose photography is so rewarding that i mean so that's why so many people yeah, do well, it, right? Like, dude, so if so many, and I'm sorry, but I was just gonna like add to your point because it's almost mm. like you could say exercise helps you, right? And exercise, I think, does make you happier. But yeah. what is like a real basic way to exercise is like just go for a fucking walk. Like, don't get trapped yeah. sitting, feeling like shit, watching TV, yeah. like this yep. listlessness, right? So. If walking's a good thing, if being in the sun is a good thing, being exposed to the environment is a good thing, and now you add a little bit of purpose, and then how easy yeah. is it to feel accomplished when you go click, click, and then on top of it, you've got something to look forward to because now you have something to share. If somebody were to ask, 
What'd you get into? How many fucking times in a row can you be like, I sat on my couch and watched Law and Order SUV versus yeah. I walked down to the park. I took a really neat picture of a dog. You want to see it? Uh, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. I captured some kids playing with seagulls at the beach. Want to see it? Yeah. You should have seen this flower in the sunset. Want to see it? And it adds like options to your life and a little bit of variability versus, uh, I don't know, I watched a movie. It was okay. You know, yeah, and like, it, what sounds yeah. better? You went out and did something or you didn't? Yeah. Of course you're going to be happier. I, I think it's a very good point. And it's a simple thing. It's a simple thing to find success in, which is probably what you need if you're having mental health struggles. 100%. It's like, you're not indulging. Like, it's, you're, you're, you have a focus on it. Like you said, it's a purpose. Like, and what happens when you have a purpose? Your mind, and I'm, and I'm, um, maybe exaggerating. Your mind empties, and when your mind empties, there's no there's no anxiety or depression or grief grief or uh, whatever it is. It's like there's none of that because your mind's empty, sort of. Um, and I, and I'll give you a, a quick tip, which I uh, which I wish I'd known this like years ago, but a few months ago, our cat died, and that's that's. It's always difficult when a pet goes right. It's like yeah. terrible. And I and I somebody made a comment on a under a video which had nothing to do with any of this. Um, and I can't remember what the video was about. But they said, "Oh, uh, playing Tetris helps with anxiety." And I'm like, "Really?" Because my cat just died. And I'm like, "I want to get my mind off stuff." It's like, and I and I get I look up a Tetris, you know, play Tetris on your phone or whatever. And I'm like, "Yeah," because I. I used to play Tetris a lot, by the way, when I was younger. Um, and I thought, oh, I can't hurt. So I give it a go. And I'm like, holy shit. Like half an hour later, I'm like, my mind was empty. Like I was because you Tetris has, you have to be focused with Tetris. And it's not difficult. Like it's not like a, a physics problem, but your mind has to be focused on it 100%. Oh, it can be if you want it to be, man. The anticipation of like, what's the next piece? So not, not to belittle yeah. your grieving, but... You know you're a next level Tetris player when not only are you focused on the current piece, but when you look over to the side and you can anticipate and incorporate the next piece on top of your current piece that's dropping. Oh. And now the anxiety okay, I, just goes through the roof because you see it, you're like, fuck man, I knew it was gonna be four squares. Right? Like oh, how come okay. I put this L here? Oh well you're you're too hardcore for me. I I, I uh <laughs> Tetris is, I'm not a hardcore Tetris player, but I, I do like it now and then. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take away it, from your point, but I think that is a great no. point. You're right. Cause you feel accomplished, right? Like you see the little bars across drop and you're like, fuck man, I did that. I found success. But, but it's the focus. See, yeah. it's like, Tetris, I don't, it, it, you're, you're focused and you're not, you're not trying to distract yourself. You are distracted. You can't help it when you start playing it. And it's like, you can feel yourself off. It's like, I feel better. And like, it's, it's not, it's, it's simple stuff. And it's like focus, purpose going, as you said, um, when you go for a walk, that's, that's most people don't need to do anything else than that. Just go for a walk. Yeah. Get out in the sun, go for a, even if it's cold, go, go for a walk. 
Yeah, if it's raining, go for a walk. It, it's the distract. Like, why do people like vacations? Why does it refresh them? Right? Like, how come staycations yeah. aren't fun? Because you're around your fucking house and you notice all the shit that you're supposed to be doing. Where you go to yeah, a vacation, I, yeah. you get to forget it. And people need that. You need to be removed. But then when you remove yourself, you need to be present in the removal to be super philosophical. Like I'm a fucking philosopher. Yeah. Oh, yes. What were we talking no, about no, earlier? Like I was like, hey, yeah, we'll just pretend like we're this role. I'll also pretend like I'm a philosopher. But like you, you need yeah. to remove yourself and then be present in the removal to then be refreshed for what you're supposed to be present in the majority of the time. So when you're on vacation, the cool thing is like, it's like uh, a macro version of going to a cafe for morning tea or afternoon tea. It's, you could do that at home, but guess what? If you're at a cafe, you sit down, you ask for what you want. Someone serves you. They take away your cup when it's empty. You don't have to do any cleaning up and you can just leave. You obviously have to, don't forget to pay, but (laughs) it's like, you don't have to deal with any of that. You just go there, enjoy the coffee and the and the chocolate fudge brownie, and it's all done for you. And it's, but you're you're present, like you're enjoying it. But it's like it's the cleaning up is not your problem. Yeah, That's, it's like it's wonderful. It's like the same. I, I just get to leave and go about my day. <clears throat> so that's what a vacation is like. But but a bigger version of that. You yeah. enjoy it. It's pure enjoyment. There's no cleaning up. There's no wash. It's like, it's just done for you. It's like, <clears throat> and, and that's part, and it's part, and also the, the distance between where you are, where you're staying and where you live. Like you need, as you said, you need, human beings need occasionally to just get away from, from home. It's yeah, a it's, healthy thing to do. It's yeah, very healthy. It has to. It, it, it's a really weird place for me to think about. Um, <laughs> but it, it makes me question. Um, so like if that's, and this is super stupid philosophical and I don't know, I guess it's not terrible to go this way, but it makes me question monogamy. Right. And I think about that and I shouldn't say, right. Like I want you to, um, whatever, like, um, endorse my saying, but if that's in our nature, if naturally we find ourselves in a society where we want to seek adventure, but yet we prop up this, you should meet one person, be with them for 60 years. And that is like the gold standard. It really makes me wonder, is that even human nature? Cause you look at other animals and not to get super, I guess, disrespectful to the state of marriage, <laughs> but like, are you fighting your natural instincts? And maybe we need to, maybe we need to fight our natural instincts in order to survive and have healthy relationships or a better society. But it's like, do we, or is everything just better in stages? Are, are people for some reason meant to go experience and then come back? And I forget who I was talking to or what we were talking about. About, but it was something about it might have been someone on the pod someone about like in an open relationship where my mind was blown at first but then oh. i like as they explained it i was like 
actually, if you're both consenting to be open and if it somehow draws you together and you still have like the reliability of each other, why would that be a bad thing? Why would that be a taboo thing? Um, first of all, the question is a good one and I don't pretend <laughs> to have the answer. And it is a good one. Like, and, and, I'm, and I do personally believe that uh, human, we've had human history human history proper, like using the proper definition, is maybe five to 10,000 years old. And so we've recorded all our observations about what works and what doesn't. And we, we pretty much got, we, we've, we've had a few millennia to get it right. And we, we uh, given, if you forget the details about, you know, let's not go into uh, abused wives and abused husbands and abused children. For, forget all that for just because those are details. Yeah, I'm just so in, for monogamy. Uh, I'm yeah. looking at it from two lenses and in a real basic yeah. generalization way, right? Yeah. One is influence of the church, and yeah. my other is influence of capitalism. And I don't know why I'm jaded by both of those industries to think they're out to get you and use you. But from a religious standpoint, they have these rules. And I believe then if you're monogamous, you're probably tithing to the religious institution organization. You're going to them, to, going to the institution to get you married. So now you're going to be like contributing to the benefit of that. And capitalism, if you're with two people, you have more buying power. You can do more buying things. Right. And I'm like, well, after that, I'm like, is there a third? Like, it, or have we been duped somehow into this? we need to be monogamous one person like idealized relationship i didn't mean to cut you off That's, but like when you were bringing I mean, in like yeah. the um outliers i wasn't talking about outliers you know you tend to talk about generalization hit in the middle yeah and it's yeah. it's something i haven't explored too often but it, it is it's interesting to me oh no that raises a very good question uh and it, it is worthy of a, a, a debate in and of itself but, uh, and obviously not every human being is the same, but here's my, is where I see things and see, tell me what you think it is. Uh, human, we've, we've figured out, we've all, we've known that the, the most fulfilling relationships are stable, if not permanent, but stable and they bear children. Um, <clears throat> And thing to import, the word I use is fulfilling because having children isn't always going to make you happy. Sometimes you're going to be angry, sad, miserable, tired, aggravated. But people think that, that, ha that if it's not 100% happy, it's not worth doing. But fulfillment is the bigger picture. Like uh, no single person is happy 100% of the time in anything, whether it's your job, uh, whether it's if you're a if you own a beautiful 1990s Ferrari, whether you have the best, the coolest cameras, whether you have the coolest house, whether if you could, it doesn't matter. You'll never be happy all the time. Does that mean you shouldn't have those things? Uh, no, but you're fulfilled, and it's the the point. The word I use is fulfilled. So, the most fulfilling relationships are stable, long term, maybe permanent, and they bear children. And I can prove that not just with human history and human nature, but 
And of course, not literally, not everyone. Like, you know, we can't force 100% of the population. Uh, we can't bracket people. Like some people just have to fall off the edge and they have to do their own thing. Yeah, um, I think there's some like natural, I don't know. I don't know whether it's outliers. I don't know if it's a like a natural algorithm that's out there. But you always have strays. You always have a fucking shooting star. Oh, right? yeah. Out so, there all, and that's, that's just part of reality. It's just the way it is. And, but, but in Mutations. general, and, and here's, here's something <laughs> to think about too. Why is it that the homosexual population after decades of what we think, oh, they're so free. They don't have, they don't care about, you know, they don't need to care about their, not, not that I, not that that's necessarily a good thing either, but you would think that, that gay folks, they kind of felt more liberated because they don't have to get married. They don't have to have kids. Uh, not that these are obligations, but like, but no, they actually, they're like, no, we we want we want the same things that that not that you know normal people have, and I use normal statistically. Um, normal people, they get married, they have children, they have they build something solid. They're not just wandering stars, you know, just flitting about like a piece of driftwood in the ocean. Like there's got to there's more to life than just drifting around and. Uh, we, we want some kind of, uh, and, and life is a play between the permanent and the ever-changing. And so uh, if you were gay in the 80s, yeah, you know, you didn't think about, from what I remember, it's like uh, there were gay clubs and everyone, you know, they probably partied a bit too hard, but they weren't tied down to anything and they didn't. No one talked about married, permanent relationship. They just had their... Their, their partners and that was that it made whatever it is um and they you were, they were probably more promiscuous too uh again none of my business it's just the way it was um <laughs> or at least they were openly promiscuous where straight the straight people probably who were married probably had to hide that so there's, there's yeah, that which so we, we I, don't we don't it well no it's a stupid little story and it's very anecdotal it's not scientific at all but so I was in the National Guard. I come back home. I'm getting ready to go to college, and I'm looking to move out of my house. So I rent a room with a couple of dudes who own a home, and they happen to be a gay couple, right? Yeah. So I'd worked with them, a biracial gay couple, which was like great perspective. Okay. I didn't realize the understanding and perspective I was being exposed to at the time because I'm 40, right. so that's 20 years ago, so 2000s. And one time I like got, and I think I might've talked about this a couple pods ago. So it's interesting how, whatever, everything like always circles back, but I was talking to the one guy and I'm like, dude, I don't get this whole like promiscuous thing, right? Like, like why is this, this weird battle? And we get into like how AIDS is being spread and what are some theories on to why it was so dangerous. And I'm like, how come like straight people didn't fear AIDS as much as gay people? Why was it like a gay disease or a homosexual disease, right? And he goes, Sean, you, you don't, you, you're overthinking it. Like, what do you mean? He goes, dude, I, I see you. You do nothing but like sweat chicks. You're horny, man. Like all you want to do at this point in your life is go out there and nail something. And I was like, okay. And he was like, that's in you. That, that, that for some reason you're stimulated in this moment to do that. And you're going to be stimulated yep. like that for many years to come, whether it's natural, whatever the cause is. Right. And I'm like, okay. He's like, now there's some interesting buffer where females have the 
ability to kind of like not act as much as guys do when they're horny. Imagine if you were around a dude and immediately you felt that same way. Well, what's the buffer to stop you? And I was like, holy shit, dude. Like, so that can be a little bit of what it comes down to is just fucking, Hey man, we're both feeling this urge at the moment. Let's handle it. And then let's move on with life. And he was like, in an essence. Yeah. And I was like, wow, like that. It it was very interesting perspective. Oh, I'm, I fully get that because it makes perfect sense. It's like, because men are, that's how men are. Like, we're, we're a bit basic. Um, Beyond basic. But, you know, you put, yeah. Well, as, as we grow older, we, 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 get, we, we grow out of that. That's probably why, um, you know, 20-year-old males are so annoying and so obnoxious because, uh, and it's not because I'm not hating on anyone because we were all 20-something once, but when I think back to my 20s, I was just obnoxious. And, I, you know, you think you know everything and, uh, it's like we're annoying when we're in our twenties. I mean, we we might be, you know, we, we might be better looking, but we're fucking annoying, like so obnoxious. <laughs> but and that, that's partly because, um, not just because we're lacking life experience, but it's that we have we we uh, our sexual urges are probably more pronounced during that age. Perfectly fine. That's just, just how nature works. But it's like it. There's that, but there's also other things. And you know that saying, like, you know, twenty year olds they think they know they know everything, and it's true. It's like when you're in your twenties, you think you know everything. Well, it's like in the military, they were like young, dumb, and full of full of cum, right? Like that. that yeah. You just accept it yeah. as that is the norm, and those are the very basics. That that's your stereotype. That's your lane to fill. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And that goes mostly for men. Um, it's like, that's why, you know, uh, so many people in their 20s, you know, they, whatever they believe, it's, it's, it's fine. But it's like, um, they think that we think we've got everything figured out. Like, no, nah, we've solved, we've solved everything. We know how life works. And it's just like, it's like, and you think back to your 20s when you get older, it's like, gee. I, was, I didn't know anything. <laughs> it's like, <clears throat> that, that's, that's our, if, if we're not self-aware, it's like you see, um, um, and you're not thinking long-term, it's like um, you tend to, you, you see this, you might see occasionally a really pretty girl with like, uh, say a really pretty girl who's maybe 21, and you see a whole bunch of guys around her who are in their early 20s. They don't realize how pathetic they look because they they don't realize if they're not looking at themselves from outside, right? Um, they're vying for attention. Ten guys vying for the attention of one female. And it's all it's all cool. Like they're all you know. There's nothing. There's no funny business going on. Like no one's being disrespectful, but it's so pathetic. It's like you've got nine other guys competing for the attention of one woman and you're trying to one-up each other with these stupid jokes and it's like, that's just lame. But you don't realize, you don't see yourself. Until you get older, you, you, you know, it's like you step, step outside and like, huh, that was pretty pathetic how I used to behave around women, wasn't it? 
And some guys are good at it. Like some guys are naturally charismatic and, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know how we got into that. No, but well, like, I was going to, yeah, exactly. Like I was going to say you and I together, just stream of consciousness thoughts is so yeah. fucking random. So yeah. like me, I try to be somewhat decent about, okay, like I'll take little notes for time stamping purposes to be like, what topics this way, if people want to like bounce around a pod, cause they're longer, like, oh shit, they talk about this. They talk about that. Dude, I don't know if we've stayed on a single topic for more than like four minutes. It's just a hodgepodge <laughs> of loosely connected shit. But at the same time, like that's kind of fucking cool. It's kind of cool to run into people like you every once in a while where it's just like, I have all these thoughts and clearly you're well-read. Clearly you're very thoughtful, right? Clearly you're intelligent and it's neat uh, to understand. And dude, the cooler thing for me at the moment that I keep tripping on is like, we seem to have very similar experiences Though, yeah. were you, did you grow up? Are you just straight up Australian? No, I'm, I'm an import. I oh. actually was born in, I was born in Lebanon, but we moved to America actually, not, not long after I was born. And so Maybe I grew up that's... In, uh, in, the mid, in the Midwest, in Cincinnati. No and shit. Was... So then maybe that's why we can connect. Probably. Oh. I mean, I'm telling you, man, though, having a childhood. A 1980s childhood in the United States, in the Midwest in particular, because that's like, because uh, they always say that if if Ohio, like Ohio seems to be for some reason a barometer for the whole country, like where it's going. I don't know why that is, but it's so middle. It's so middle America. It's the middle of the middle, I guess. Um, <laughs> right. I don't know. It, I, but I'm just telling you, it was just, there's, there's no, it's not... Uh, you don't have that, so it's not established like New England is very established. Yeah. So there's the, the yachting and the yacht clubs and that. It's not Hollywood, so there's no glitz and glamour. Uh, it's not it's not Texas where it's rural and lots of cattle and lots of you know. Uh, it's not it's 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 just middle, and not just geographically middle, but it's like everything is like. Uh, I don't mean it's, it's not it's not it's not boring as in beige but it's like it's not boring at all but it's like so straightforward it's like there's nothing uh about from what i remember there's nothing about cincinnati which was particularly uh pronounced it was just like this is how life is it's like normal everyday middle class life where people went to school went to work had fun rode their bikes watched some TV, played in the snow. And there was, there was no one dominant thing. Like in, in California, there's Hollywood and Silicon Valley. And on the East Coast, there's the yacht clubs and there's Wall Street. But in Ohio, there's no one thing that dominates. So that ha might have something to do with it. But it was such a good childhood, man. It's like anyone who grew up in the 80s uh, will know what I'm talking about. Yeah, dude, that, that's, that's super interesting. I would not have thought that. So how do you get back to Australia? When do you leave the States? Well, because my parents, because I got divorced anyway, but my parents had working visas because my dad was a physicist or a nuclear engineer, believe it or not. Stop. Um, dude, I fucking believe and, it. The way you think? Yes, I believe it. <laughs> no, I, I, but, my, but my mom was actually very different. She was more... Uh, 
her her thing was linguistics, and so she was a she did a, she had a master's degree in French. So she she was a, a French tech, French lecturer, uh, and they both worked at the same university, and so we didn't have a permanent visa, uh, and we didn't. Mum decided well. We could stay here. We could apply, but then her sister's family was in in Australia, uh, and she thought, well, we could we, we could even go to France, um, which would not be hard to do. Um, so we chose or she chose Australia. Um, big culture shock, by the way, moving from Cincinnati to Melbourne. Such a culture shock, and you wouldn't think so, because Melbourne was much more were much more authentic back then was simpler but the culture was so like in my school in, in cincinnati you had a boys line and a girls line and and in, in my primary school here there's no boys line and girls line you just lined up in front of class progressive no, it's like no gender roles so every, every, <laughs> well, well everything was everything was like the only thing like some things here are actually much better but thing which I refused to do, I refused to write with Australian cursive because it was so basic, because I learned American cursive, which is much more intricate, and I still write that way. Seriously? There are two um, types of cursive? Yeah. Oh, yeah, at least two types of cursive. No and so shit. the American cursive is actually the proper cursive, whereas the Australian cursive, which is basically a printing, but a bit more, it's like a decorative kind of printing. It's like, we'll take the printing but add a few flourishes. It's not proper cursive because cursive has to flow properly. You can't just, you can't just modify printed characters. So they join together superficially. That's not cursive has to be, has to allow everything to flow. And you have to be able to, with the exception of the T's and the I's, you should not lift when you're writing a word, you should not, everything has to flow. And if you look at American cursive, you look at, but I use, I use when I, Right with cursive, I use printed capitals because they make more sense. But with lowercase, it's American cursive. And look at the look at the American cursive letters for the R and the N and the M. Mm-hmm. They don't. They're a bit different than the printed R's and N's and M's. Um, and I'm trying to. Th- and the capitals are very different. And and I stopped using the cursive capitals. I, don't, I just don't didn't like them but my teacher in, in Melbourne she's like well you, you know I prefer that you wrote Australian coast I'm saying I don't like it <laughs> it's boring <laughs> it's really boring it's like you would think you would think like we, the Queen of England is a head of state like you would think we would have all the fancy shit all the <laughs> we would have the fancier coast and the more traditional but no no the, the Americans are they have some of the stuff that you do is more, uh, I suppose, not just, I'm trying to find the right word, um, sophisticated than what we do. And you feel and it's so, sophisticated because all the letters touch? Well, it, it is. American custom is more sophisticated and it's, it's, much more, it's much more beautiful than Australian custom. Huh. I mean, it's like... It's, it's, and I don't, and I'm like, why is that? Why is the cursive here so boring? Maybe, I don't know, maybe because 
my friend's mother, who's uh, who who was born here, her parents. I don't, I, I don't know if they were, but they were Anglo-Irish, so I don't know if they were born here or not. But her handwriting is closer to mine, even though she's decades older. And I think it's because back then they taught handwriting properly. It was much more focused on uh, uh, being uh, elegant, which is, I agree, like some of that stuff is gone. I remember reading an article that some American schools no longer teaching cursive. And I'm like, that's postmodernism for you. It's like Uh, all postmodernism does is that doesn't build anything. It just destroys things because it's it's easy to give the illusion of progress by getting rid of things. Yeah, because it's a waste of time. But then, dude, they started pivoting back and they only did it for, at least in the school that I work in, for a year because then a study came out talking about how like cursive writing is more intellectual and stimulates different aspects of the brain and is like the transferable. So it's, I, I can't remember the exact science, but basically it was like, oh my God, so if we have kids do cursive for 10 minutes, their scores will increase in math and science and social studies and English yeah. because they just have to think in a different way and it stimulates, which allows them to yeah. focus better. And it was like, I guess. And people were like, cool, let's do it for a year. And then they gave it up because they were like, why do we want to have kids basically trace? <laughs> and they were like, that's a waste of time. We need them doing, oh wait, we don't have them do multiplication tables. And like all the little basics that you used to take for granted, all the rules are gone and it's a discovery thing now that gets replaced by it. Sorry, that was a tangent. I don't know if that has to do with postmodernism, but like that's at oh, least yeah, my experience what happened and why. Look, it's, um, yeah, post, postmodernism leads to progressivism. And I think um, this is, it's just the same mentality that eliminates cursive is the same mentality that leads to the tearing down of statues. It's the same founding. It's like, we don't have... So we're going to take... We're going to... Well, we want to give the illusion of progress because that's because we want to build a future. You know, if they want to build a future and they think that, well, progress means getting rid of bad things and so they have this fixation for things which are too... Uh, in their minds, perhaps uh, they, everyone wants to be a revolutionary, and well, some people do. And progressives are, are on the whole, not bad people, by the way. A lot of mm-hmm. progressives are great people, but progressivism leads to uh, <clears throat> the opposite. It's like let's get rid of this, let's get rid of that. It's a very naive way of thinking, and it's, it's and if you, it's progressivism which has has made everything most things that are uh that wrong in society now is that's caused by progressivism it's not it's not the democrats or the republicans or the labor party or the liberal party that the general solid we have a position which is different than yours but we can work together that that's if the corrosive element isn't isn't like the the traditional Work, you know, traditional labor, traditional Tory. That's not what caused that. Those aren't really the problems. It's the progressivism which is the problem. And what the same thing that gets rid of, you know, uh, you know, and there's some schools which are 
lowering their academic standards for some reason um, because they don't want... It's like we have to be... And they twist they twist these values which we all agree on, like compassion and kindness and patience and tolerance. They twist them. Like, they twist them into the most corrupt form possible. Uh, and, and that means... Well, in order to love my neighbor, I must therefore hate myself, hmm. right? Um, that's why modern governments give so much to foreign aid, but but they don't pay attention to the social... They talk about being compassionate, but how many homeless people do you have? In your, and, and we have in our country, it's a lot of people, yeah, and you is. can't solve it. You can't solve it by no, just even giving money to people. Just but you can't... I'm sorry, man. Go ahead. Uh, um, and it's like those are serious issues, and you can you can catalyze the solution. You can't government can't solve this problem, but it can catalyze the solution. Yeah. Um, but it but it can make it worse. And progressivism is leading even center right politics. Like, well, we have to we have to do something. Uh, we it's like. <clears throat> We have to do something for the people in Ukraine, for example, which is yeah, that like well, that's what I was about to say. Like inflation and gas prices are going fucking nuts over here, and people yeah. everything fucking costs whatever ten percent more, and it's like oh, we're gonna do one point five billion dollars to Ukraine, and you're yeah, like yeah, I, I mean I, I guess that's a good cause because like war sucks. There are people who are suffering, but at the same time, yeah. it is an interesting thought of what if money is limited, right? And what about our problems here? Maybe it's selfish mm -hmm. to think that way, but it no, seems like you have to consider these other people because we're not as bad. And maybe even like the mantra of, do you really want to deal? What's wrong with you dealing with high gas prices because at least you're not at war. And it's an mm -hmm. interesting just thought process of, should we be concerned with that? I don't know. It, it, and it's super American, but it takes me to like Ralph Nader, a guy like a super closed border guy, like almost yeah. I forget what it's called, but it's not introvert. He has a particular name, but it, it's it's a philosophy of like, why are we fucking involved, man? <laughs> like that yeah. shit is yeah, very can't. far yeah. away. Why are we involved? And yeah. we feel the need to be involved because you want to be progressive and caring and kind and compassionate. And it's like, yeah. can you spread yourself that thin? When we have compassion and care, we could inflict within our own nuclear country. Yep. Yes, it, it's like you, you, you can the, the best, and it's it's a twisting of Christian values because people think that being Christian it means. And this is why it's very strange. That I find that uh, the people who are not who are not religious. They, they look at Christianity and think, and they're subconsciously corrupting it. Like everything that Christianity stands for, it, you, you don't, uh, it, do, it does not call for the degradation of, of your society. It does not call for uh, uh, letting your own people pay, you know, $6 a gallon while throwing money at uh, foreign countries, which could probably look after themselves or... Um, people who are not, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to appreciate it. And, um, 
but we have to be compassionate. It's like, that begs the question, like, what do you mean? Like, letting people, uh, like, uh, illegal immigrants, for example, like, yeah, they're human beings too, right? You can't, you can't just shoot them, right? Um, but they, if you want to be part of a country, you, you can't just, you know, uh, just walk across the border. And it's like, that's not Christian compassion at all. It's like, you don't, that's, that's an excuse. It's like, oh, but if you're, you believe in compassion, right? It's like, it's not, that's not, <laughs> compassion is maybe, uh, you, you know, uh, you, you can, the citizens voluntarily setting up programs to maybe help people in foreign countries who could use our help. But you can't, it's like the government can't be involved in all this weird kind of uh, turning everything into a moral thing. It's like, it, it's, uh, it's not good. It's not going to end well. Do you, it's interesting. Do you think you feel this way because you grew up formatively in America or, or is this like shit going on in Australia that's making you think this way too? No, it's things happen globally. Like Germany let in all these refugees, alleged refugees. And I'm like, that's not compassionate or kindness. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, the most expensive virtue signal in history. Um, do you really think you can just, you can let one person into your house and they might respect you, right? Um, that's on a one-on-one -on -one basis. But if you let in 700,000 people into your country, what you think that just everything's going to be kumbaya, everybody gets along, everyone's going to be grateful, and they're going to... No. It's like... Uh, uh, and there are some people who, you know, sit at it, who... Uh, um, they like to sit, to sit you know, behind their keyboard on Twitter and say, well, you know, we, it's like, letting more refugees, we have to save the whole... And these people have this messiah complex. The same people who think that religion is stupid have a messiah complex. They think they have, that Western countries have to just bankrupt themselves to save the world, and then we're all poor. Now we're all we're all we're all not well off anymore. It's like a millionaire. Let's say there's a million poor people, and there's a one millionaire. He could give a dollar to a million people, but they'd only have a dollar, and he'd be left with a dollar. And that does that's not how you you can't legislate prosperity. You can't. Prosperity has to be bottom up. It has to be organic. It has to be voluntary. Volu voluntary. Oh, man. Uh, you, can't, you can't, you can't uh, make people prosperous by just letting them do what they want. Like, yeah, sure. It's like, you know, a good parent would not say to their child, oh, what the hell, let him have ice cream for dinner. Like, that's not being kind or compassionate. It's being an idiot. Like, it's irresponsible. <laughs> It's irresponsible for the child and for you as well. But mostly you're harming the child by letting him, oh, let the, let the child have the ice cream for dinner. And you think it's all cute and they're like, he'll, he'll really like me for that. He'll, I'll be in his good books and then there'll be something else uh, that they'll complain about that you can't offer and then, and then the child will be angry with you again and you have to think, how can I buy this child's love? Oh, I know. More ice cream. Um, it's like it's the same naive mentality that's that's the uh you know it's like we're trying to fix mistakes in, from the past by making new mistakes and it's it's just very infuriating to see it happen it's like you can't 
uh, and, I, and I, find, I find, you know, people talk about interpreting the Bible literally, which, 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 which no one should really be doing, by the way. That's not the point. But, <laughs> uh, the, it's like yeah. the people who... Do you think actually who, people, I feel like that's been so spoken about the whole, hey man, this has not only been passed down orally before it was written, but how many languages have we translated this thing from? with context and intonations and jargon. And like, it's, it, I, yeah. I, I feel, do you think a majority of people, <laughs> do you like, if you had to put a percent on it, what percent of people do you think actually look at the Bible as literal and to be interpreted when um, you read it in English? I'd say, uh, I'd say a, a large minority and I, I, I don't want to put a number on it, but but then different people have different thresholds for what literal means. Like uh, they would believe that the gospels are his, history, but then again, they'll accept Genesis as allegory, which is what the church always well, mostly taught, at least at, at worst it was debated. Like, but I think uh, I've forgotten his name. Let me give you a second. It's not Lucas. It was Aquinas, I think, who talked about this sort of thing. Uh, and thank you for assuming I'm well-read, but I'm not as well-read as I would like to be. But um, <laughs> Thomas Aquinas wrote about this stuff hundreds of years ago. Um, it's like the Bible isn't, and I'm being very uh, general here, but it's not a rule book. It's not, uh, and a lot of it, it's not meant for Christians anyway. Although it's like Christians shouldn't know the Old Testament, in my opinion. That's my personal view. We should know it, like at least in some sense. Like, I don't mean that we should all be scholars, but we should know it. But it's not meant for us. It's like it's something which we—it's edifying and 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 uh, and so and and informative and very interesting. But it's not—it's not for—it's not, for, not like a. Did, it's did. not a rule book for for us. It wasn't a lot of it. It wasn't even rule book, rule books for Jews either. Only some of it is technically law. Like it's not a big, massive law book. And a lot of people who are, uh, I say, I suppose the hard atheists. Although I'm not, I'm not knocking atheists. I don't have, I don't, don't have a problem with people who don't believe. It's fine. It really, is perfectly fine. Um, a lot of hard atheists, although probably not the majority, but a good amount of these hard atheists who are. Uh, against Christianity, perhaps they're more literal than I am. Than most Christians, actually, they look at the Bible and read it so literally. Well, they're looking to say, prove, well, say, right? Like they're looking to prove yes, that like, they're correct. So they got to pinpoint what's wrong, and it's easy to pinpoint something that's wrong if it's if it's not meant to be literal. But yet you're going to argue yeah. that it is literal, right? Yeah, so like, then you can yeah. say like, well, there's a passage in there about eating flesh. Who the hell wants to eat flesh? Right? Like, that's what you want to do yeah. for your God? You want to follow this law about if some woman has her period, all of a sudden you have to slay her in some way or you have to yeah, slay yeah. some cattle because someone's gotten dirty? Like, that's what you're yeah. living like? And it's, it, yeah, it's, it makes your argument easier to point out how bad something is if you say the thing you're pointing out, which is out of context at this point in our lives. And you're going to say it's meant to be literal. It, it makes your yeah, argument it's like, easy. 
like make up your mind. It's like, is the Bible supposed to be like, like a lot of Christians believe that the Bible is, has no errors, which I vehemently disagree with. And it's like, but some Christians will say, no, the current Bible as we have it has errors in it. But the originals, if we could find them, they probably will have no error. And I can, I can sympathize with that because at least you're, you're at least, uh, you're admitting that the, the, the New Testament manuscripts that we have have errors in them. Like, if you can't admit that, uh, then you're not thinking clearly. Doesn't It's like, just a, like they have, there's errors in the New Testament manuscripts. It's Did not, a, it's like, get over it. It's like the Christianity isn't even based on, on the New Testament, right? It's not, that's not the basis of Christianity anyway. You're defending something which doesn't need defending. It's, it's like, I don't, I'm not a Christian because of, um, oh, sorry, I should say, uh, I, if you ask me, well, what's Christianity based on? I say, well, Jesus, of course. Simple. It's not based on church tradition. It's not based on the Bible. It's not based on, on inerrancy. It's not based on uh, any particular doctrines based on Jesus. And then you build on that and you're allowed to have differences. Like some people believe that it's, okay to venerate the Virgin Mary. I think it's probably not appropriate, but if, if, if the intention is, is righteousness and goodness, and, and I, can, uh, I, can, I can disagree with you academically and say, no, uh, Mary was not a perpetual virgin, but am I going to spend my life on a crusade trying to get people to stop believing that? No, because it doesn't matter. What? Like, you seem very passionate about this religious thing. I'm curious what shaped yeah. your um, religious views. Did you like get sent away uh, to some Bible camp at some point in your life? No, and it no, was no. Like... Uh, I, no, no. I grew up secular, um, and that you know, and, and although my mom wasn't, was not an atheist. My my dad was an atheist, um, which would suit. And it's, I suppose personality is a bit like that. But my mom, she was like, I suppose, uh, you know, she, she, I remember she would, she said to my brother and I once when we were very, very young, and I can't remember how it even came up. Like, God can talk to you, but he talks to you through your heart. Like, we're like, no, how does that work? <laughs> yeah. Um, Trust but, my friend. So friend. I used to, like I, I, I proudly say I've made a, I've made a lot of mistakes which a lot of ordinary most people would make, and I'm glad that I made them because you can't learn from being right, you learn from being wrong. And I used to be I, when I was much younger, I used to believe that the Bible was 100 percent accurate. That's, but that's not Christianity, by the way. That's biblicism. And I was I was fixated on that more than I was about. Uh, what Christianity stood for. And eventually, you know what happened one day? I was out for my walk in the evening and I realized this inerrancy nonsense, it, it's nonsense, it's not true. I, I, I like, and, and, and it's not a, like, obviously you have to have evidence to back up your claim either way, right? But I'm being very, I'm summarizing. It. I'm like, oh, of course, this, this no, it's not. And I felt this weight lift off my shoulders because I'd been, I didn't believe something. 
I believe something which was false. And when you do that, you stress yourself out and you put a burden on yourself. But if you believe in something which you suspect is true, but you want to find evidence for it, that's a different thing, hmm. right? And now there's an American scholar, and I think I think his name is Bruce Metzger, and maybe some of your listeners know this much better than probably they do. I feel like know you know guy. it because you're very well read. No, I'm just uh, thank you. But, but, <laughs> I can't believe, but, uh, dude, you've dropped. And by the way, just as an affirmation towards you, I'm terrible at dropping the specific names to things. I'm horrible at citations, right? Like I'll think shit. Okay. I have no idea where it fucking came from. You've been okay. exceptional with being specific with, I believe, blah, 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 this person's name and like citing. That's clearly, to, to me, that's the sign of someone who is not only well-read, but like thoughtful, like cares about how they construct arguments. I just wanted to put that out yeah, there yeah. for you. A little affirmation. Well, first of all, thank you. And, and I, I think it's that's because I'm, I'm from the school of, I'm influenced by several people. And I think if you've ever read a Michael Crichton novel, you'll know where I'm coming from. I've only watched the movies, never read the novels. Uh, <laughs> you, there are some like I've read almost all his novels. There's one I didn't bother reading because it was like I don't care about that. But it, pretty much every novel he's ever written, I've read, pretty much. Um, and the way, and his his novels are fantastic because they're not just great page turners, but he makes he there's you learn something about like you I didn't think of it like that I didn't know that mm. it's like it's like saying uh, it's like what we were talking about before between we're talking about some scientists don't believe that electrons exist um, that's something that Michael Crichton would write about and it's interesting and it's it's not it's not for the sake of being a contrarian it's like we need to talk about this yeah. no one's for the talking sake, about it Why for not? the sake of perspective it it gets back to yeah. what I was originally um saying, building off of what you said about being a reader and helping to gain perspective. It's like people seek identity in those formative years. And it's something that does stop and it gets to the echo chamber thing of social media where you tend yeah. to get isolated and insulated in your opinions and looking yeah. for validation versus looking for that challenge, right? Um, yeah. It, it, but reading a good book and if you're open to it, and you're like, holy shit, that character brought up blank. No, that fucking author clearly did some research to bring in yeah. that perspective. Like, that's yeah. legit. I didn't know Michael Creighton was like that, though. I didn't know that was like a thing of his to make people think about different perspectives. Sorry, did you drop your phone? It sounded like it might have dropped. Possibly. Maybe I'll fill in airtime. By the way, just a random maybe editing point is we were on religion. We got to Michael Creighton. I tried to give you a compliment and no idea where we're going to get back to once you might have your phone. Sounds like you're almost back, Kareem. Feel like you're putting in an earpiece. Hearing some static, walking in the woods. I mean, at this point, two plus hours in, 
what are the chances people will actually hear these words being uttered? <gasps> Philosophy. Any chance you're back with it? You're still on the Zoom. Just me, a candle, and somewhat empty glass. You did say you were going out for a walk, so I'm super curious if something actually happened. <laughs> Kareem, to everyone, hi. <laughs> are you still here? <laughs> if you are still here, I can't hear you. <laughs> this is live time Zooming with my man Kareem. It makes me wonder if the universe or somebody was out to get us. Or again, if it was a simple rock that just tripped up our podcast. Okay, he's going to disconnect the earphones and reconnect them. Let's see what happens. And let's see if I'm super lazy with my editing to see if I leave this section in. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah, dude, oh, you're back. That was, oh, good. We, we can get back to Bruce Metzger because, very quickly because <laughs> his, the reason why he became a New Testament scholar or one of his motivations, and I, don't, I haven't read any of his stuff because I'm not like an expert. Because in, in, you, if you really want to get into the New Testament, you probably really should you know, learn Greek. But anyway, so his point was this. His thesis was the current New Testament is corrupt. Doesn't mean it's bad or it's wrong or it's useless, wow. but it's corrupted. Like uh, it's and and this is kind of everyone, every decent scholar knows this. It's like it's not a secret, never been a secret. But there are people who are in denial about this. And and I'm sorry, but if you think that the New Testament that we have now is free of any errors or mistakes, I don't know what to say because it, it clearly is. It clearly has. So. Not that um, I, I, I don't know my position on that, but my gut reaction almost goes back to monogamy where how is it shaped? And just knowing the little bit I do of history and the influence of church and yeah. the power it wielded and the money it brought in, why would it not be while it was being formulated kind of interpreted in a way that benefits the church and the system, which again goes to capitalism. It almost goes to any system, right? Like systems look to be self-sustaining. They look to get power for themselves. So I'm not saying you're right. I'm not but saying God, you're wrong, which, but I'm saying it's really something yeah. to think about. And if you wanted to analyze. Oh, yeah, look, it's, it's true. Like there, um, there's a, I forgot the guy's name. Uh oh, might have forgotten to charge your earbuds as well or ear. Let's grow up. Oh, there you go. Oh, am I back? <laughs> yeah, it was like a 10 second. Maybe the CIA or someone's listening and they don't want you putting this Damn. out there. <laughs> so there's a, a pretty well known uh, British archbishop, and I forgot his name, but I think he was a former archbishop of York, maybe. And he said, We have to grow up. The New Testament has evidence of, of politicization. Like there's a, a direction which 
like, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a story of Jesus and the other church, no problem. But there are also other layers to it. Um, and there are yeah, parts of well, it which are intended to... So it's like, it's no, not a secret. Well, Jesus and, dies, and then there's a bunch of people who are not Jesus that then construct the church. So... It, like I don't know if that's ex- I, I don't know what the definition of political is, but there was a formation and interpretation of a vision after the leader is gone, and I feel like that would be politicized because you got to pick a side. Of course, it was yeah, in, it was because, in contradiction to what was going. Maybe not in contradiction, but it was an option to what was currently yeah. going on. And look, if anybody can read the Gospels, like it's in plain language, and you can see how flawed people were how Jesus couldn't heal some people because they didn't have the faith. And it's like, there's no pretense of, of immaculate perfection in, in anything the church does. And the problem arises when we, we as members of a church, although I'm actually, I don't belong to a church actually, but if we assume this immaculate perfection of, of the church, it's our fault for what goes wrong because we, we put that on the church. The church, um, has always, like, uh, even if you accept that the Catholic Church was founded by St. Peter, which in, in some ways it was, in some ways it, I don't think it's as straightforward as that personally, but it doesn't matter. Look at how terrible St. Peter was. Like, he, he was a chicken. He was, he was, a, he was like, his behavior was in some ways terrible. When you say he's a chicken, was he the guy that denied Jesus? Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. But so John was the apostle that dies on the island, right? Revelation? Uh no, that's a different John. The person who wrote Revelation uh, That's not the book of John, John John? Are you sure? No, the, yeah, it's a different so, look, I think people in the Orthodox Church tend to believe they're the same author, but in the Western Church they're accepted as being documents written by different authors oh, at different times. Shit. So as I got older, just as a side note, like this book yep. of Revelation came to this guy who's basically been sent to die on an island. And I have no idea how like what he experienced on that island ever got back to be included within the canons of every other story. And that's something that's always yeah. screwed with me. And again, we've we've I feel like we've covered like six topics that I know I'm definitely not an expert on. But it's interesting to theorize where it's like, wait, all these things were written over the span of how many centuries and they all get pieced together. And what's the deciding factor? Who is the editor (laughs) that was like this word in, this word out, this scroll cool, this scroll not. And it's really something if you look at it like just in a basic editing standpoint, you're like, how does that make sense? Who voted? Right? What was that board like, or was it just one individual that snuck in particular parts? Um, from what I understand about how the, the documents got formed, it goes like this: you have oral <laughs> traditions which have to be recorded, like the church wants to record its history. So the natural thing to do, this is why I, I don't believe that the Bible is the word of God because it's not the point of the Bible. Um, in fact, there's a a lot, of, a lot of Christian theologians will tell you that even if we had no Bible, it wouldn't change anything. But that's not the point. Um, 
the well, yeah, because that's even the, in the, the Bible, right? Like God is not in a particular thing. God is everywhere. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it, right. there's, there's a lot. There's, I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, like I feel. No, like, no, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's like the early Christians didn't have a New Testament, <laughs> right? right? But they realized they should put, they should record the history so that future Christians can have can at least have a record of what happened, of what maybe some things didn't happen. It doesn't matter. The point is, these records are of the early church. It doesn't matter whether they're slightly accurate or slightly, doesn't matter, that these are records of the early church. And it's like, <clears throat> okay, so you have these oral traditions built up, and then you have, and early Christianity was very vibrant, so you had different, you had different denominations, different factions who emphasized different things. Perfectly natural. Um, but in order to unite all these factions, at least to some degree, what you've got to do is you've got to take all their their traditions and mash them together somehow. You can't exclude, you can't delete anything because people will be asking, where did that go? Mm. So you have to, you can't throw out stuff. But what you can do is compile everything and say well some churches only they only had the letters of paul and the gospel of luke but and so that's, we have four uh, uh, canonical gospels and they're all uh, two of them are the three of them are the same one of them's not quite the same and yeah, but blah, they're blah, all, blah, but all right. it's all not like exact copies there's different perspectives but, right that's the whole point yes Yes, and, and like there are churches, different churches put emphases on different different gospels for yeah. different reasons, and there's two basic versions of Mark. There's one version of Mark which ends when uh, the the three, I think the, the, the tomb of Jesus is discovered empty, and that's it, that end of the story. But then the longer, most, most New Testaments have the longer version of Mark, which has a bit of a continuation. And... Now, if you think that the, the New Testament that we have now is without error, you tell me which is the authentic version. Now, any sensible person, and most scholars are sensible, and they're very devout too. Yeah, we, we think that the wrong version of Mark was probably, it, it, it may not have been necessarily invented out of Holcroft, but it's not the, that's not the original version of Mark. The original version has to be the shorter one for these reasons. Um, I, it's like, that's a whole, you could write a book about that too. And um, and so what happens is when you merge the churches together, you can't delete anything. What you can do is include most things. And you it's like, oh, don't, this church in Alexandria, don't worry, we're going to keep this gospel in. But the church in Antioch, don't worry, we won't get rid of yours. We're going to keep put yours in too. And all their traditions are compiled and blah, 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 blah. And, it, it, and, it, and, it, and all the, the changes, most of the changes happen in the, early, the earliest years of, 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 of the compilation because that's how things work. Change happens. Most change happens early in, 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 the, in the development of something whether it's a document or a, an idea or a company, like look at, look at, um, I suppose, uh, 
any any system which has an organic mechanism, it includes human systems. Most changes will happen early, and then th- changes will happen less frequently as time goes on. So, God, uh, where am I going? So, what you were saying <laughs> about so, um, yeah, the new te- we we know that the New Testament isn't a hundred percent authentic or accurate, and there is nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean anything except it means it means something in and of itself only. It does not, as I said, I don't do bullshit, right? Um, you you can't pretend that you know if you can't pretend. You got to just be accept facts. But what Bruce Metzger, I think his mission was, well, he thought, well, the, the New Testament we have now is corrupted, which simply means just has mistakes in it. But the authentic manuscripts, if we can discover them somehow, may very well be 100% accurate and, and authentic. How do we discover the originals? Well, one way to discover the originals is to, to study the manuscripts we have and we work, we try, we track the changes and figure out when they happened, why they happened, where they happened. We might be able to work our way. It's like uh, in, in, in mathematics, there's a concept called limits, which, and I'm not terribly great with maths, but it's, it's a way to try and determine an answer to a problem which you logically can't actually do, but you can get close. And you can get closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. And so, uh, so Bruce Metzger effectively, although I'm making very loose analogies between two very different fields, he was applying the principle of limits to try and get closer and closer and closer and closer to the authentic manuscripts as best he could. And that's and and, and as I said, I haven't read his stuff because I'm not, you know. Uh, I can't read everything, I guess, and it's one day I'll get back in. One despite, day I'll get back into the stuff, kind of more. But despite the so, fact that you're well read, well, uh, <laughs> I wish. I mean, look, if if a person is really well read, they'll know Greek and Latin. Dude, I and feel that's, that's, no, that's, dude. I feel like anybody who gets complimented on being well read probably yeah. feels that they are not, because that's what makes them well read is they have uh, this urge to like constantly read. That's never fulfilled. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, look, I, I, yeah, I mean, I do feel like, like, I wish I, I wish I knew more maths and more science and more, 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 more. Like, there has to be, like, uh, a properly educated person. And it sounds old-fashioned, but it's not. It's actually very solid. You have to know at least either Greek or Latin. Or at least some basic like you have to acknowledge that that's what you got to do you have to know some you have to have a minimum level of maths and science and uh you have to know the bible you have to know western philosophy uh and 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 history as well which history doesn't interest me as much as it does other people because i'm very specific in what history i'm interested in so I don't care about Roman history, even though it's really interesting, and I'd love to learn Latin, but that's, there's a different... I don't want to learn Latin because of Roman history. I want to learn Latin because of Western Europe. It's a, and, and, 
and all that stuff. But um, it's, and I'm not interested in, in very much. In fact, I'm interested in the Second World War. Um, popular culture for me is very, like, I'm more interested in the 80s and 90s culture than I am in, say, let's say, uh, Reformation England, for example, which is really interesting, by the way. It's just that that's not my focus. <laughs> I love how you say, I'm not interested in dot, 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 <laughs> and then follow it up with, which is really interesting, by the way. <laughs> like... <laughs> it is. It is it, it, no, no, it is, but I'm like, you won't, you won't catch me reading uh, deep treatises about 17th century England, but it's interesting. Like, I'll watch a doco about it, but it's not my, it's like, I don't feel drawn. Like, I've, my moral compass is the Second World War. Everything I, every, the way I think is based around the Second World War. It's because I'm just so into it. Like, I can't, it's... Um, What's that it's, done it's, for your moral compass, the Second World War? Uh, it, it's a great lesson in being prepared um, in, uh, it's, there's a, uh, I wish I could remember. It's like the British were the, was, was the dominant superpower, even after the first world war, which really weakened the empire, but it was the dominant superpower, even after the first world war, uh, cause America hadn't quite overtaken it yet. And they could have stayed Which, the dominant can I power. Can I just pause you? When I go yes. as basic as size, and maybe that's because I'm a guy, I'm all about size. Yeah. Uh, but like I look at England and I look at America and I'm like, why was this ever a fucking competition? Like what the fuck yeah. was wrong with us, dude? Once we got all the way to the West Coast, the fuck you going to do, Britain? You're the size of maybe Kentucky? I'm, I might be wrong on yes. that. But like, dude, you're you're a fraction of us. So with our resources, yes. with our population, yes. what, what the fuck, man? And it's kind of amazing that Britain was able to hold on to that reputation after losing their colonies. You fucking lost yeah. the future yeah. of the world. And yet yeah. you were still the baddest motherfucker on the block. Like, yeah. that's pretty astounding to be oh, like, yeah. you were a pipsqueak oh, yeah. in size and yet you had the cachet of like a Mike Tyson. It, it's sorry, but like in a real basic way, that's always a concept that never passed my logic test. But I've never um, read about actually, it to understand it's actually, it either. Oh, I, I think I can partly explain it. And, 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 <laughs> and, uh, and it goes like this. Britain, Britain um, first of all, their population, I don't, I, I don't know the, the date, but... I know that the British population was actually, for a long time, Britain had more people than America did for a while, and then it flipped, it gently flipped eventually, and it continued to flip. But remember, it's not a mass, even now, the difference isn't huge. It's just, it's a big difference, but it's not like staggering difference. It's not like the difference between Canada, like Canada has, you could start to say, yeah, that's, that's starting to get, like, they have a tenth of your population, but Britain has maybe a fifth. So 
it's not even today. It's not staggeringly. I, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's not a staggering yeah, difference so now. Actually, I mean, I was just googling it. Um, so, yeah. 2020 census: United Kingdom of Britain and Northern Ireland, population of 63 yeah. million. Okay. United States, 309. Right, okay. but I guess we'd have to go back to. 19, what do you want to go back to? 1940-ish? 1918, when the First World War ended. Oh, First World War. That makes sense. I'm sorry. It'll take me a second, but go ahead. Sure. Um, So the populations weren't that different, especially before the 20th century. I don't think there was a massive difference in population. But remember, British people are very, say, culture... It's just the way it is. Like, their yeah. culture is deeper. They're 23. Well, and I'm sorry well. to interrupt you. It just came up, man. Yep. And I, it, it's yep. a dick move on mine, but it emphasizes your point. 23% of the world population, according to Wikipedia, was held yep. sway by the British Empire at the time. Bigger. So, Bigger. a quarter of the fucking world. That's in. You don't. Like, 100 years later, you don't think about what that influence would mean that a quarter of the world is influenced by you. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's, and, and I have to say, um, I, I am an Australian. Uh, this is my country. I, I, this is, I don't believe in multiple citizenships. Um, but, it, it, you know, I'm a monarchist, so I absolutely affirm that the, the queen, that the, the queen of England is also our queen. But that, let's not confuse that with. Um, I wouldn't put Britain's interests ahead of ours, but uh, in the same way, I wouldn't put your interests ahead of ours. But at the same time, you know, if if you're, um, I'm, I'm pro liberty. So if you're a nation that believes in liberty, uh, and if you have a, you know, uh, a sense of you know, uh, of. of so I'm pro-British loosely, like I'm pro-American too, but I'm not, you know, that's a difference from saying I would put your interests ahead of mine. It's just that um, I admire Britain a lot. I admire what they achieved. I'm very proud to be, I suppose, a descendant, although indirectly because I'm an import, but people like we're all people who live in uh, nations where Queen Elizabeth II is the queen. Uh, we are children of the of the British Empire, and uh, for its flaws and faults and all of that, uh, what a, it's a beautiful achievement. Uh, and but, so, go back, back to, to the your, moral compass part, yeah, because I yeah. was trying to like so, redirect us to the nucleus. Yeah. Um, what? Why do you so, connect to that? Okay, so the the British British, British were you know still the premier superpower, although that was to be tested. And they didn't pass that test that well for a long time, actually. But uh, they talked themselves into the stupid position of, well, the Germans might be breaking the Versailles Treaty, but we won't. It's like, you stupid motherfuckers. It's like, they're breaking it so they can take away what you built. You have the duty to break it if the other party... It's like, uh, and in fact, this lesson carried on to the invasion of france because the british the british saw that the the germans could not actually invade france it was impossible um they had to go through belgium 
and that was illegal because Belgium was neutral. They did not declare war. So the British thought, well, fuck it. The Germans broke that law. We're going into Belgium too. We're not going to say, sit here and play the good guy anymore. Right? And this is the big mistake the British did in the, in the 30s. They stuck to the Versailles Agreement when they knew the Germans weren't. And that is bullshit. Your whole empire could have been destroyed because of that stupid posturing of, well, we're just... We're, we're, we're just going to stick to the agreement. Like, fuck you, man. What the hell are you doing? That, that pisses me off that, that the British, like, it's, it's... like these people are very, they're experienced, they're educated, they're cultured, they're very well connected. They have some of the best intelligence uh, agencies in the world. Because remember, the CIA and the NSA were years away, um, I think. I can't remember when the NSA was founded. But the British knew all this shit. Um, and they're like, no, we have to be the we have to stick to our agreements. It's like you you almost lost the previous war because of that fucking attitude. And now you're gonna possibly lose your whole your whole existence is hinging on your stupid adherence to this fucking treaty, which the Germans already broke. And that's weird, man. It almost reminds me of like what's going on with NATO nowadays. Where it's yep. like, yo, are you fucking like, did Putin break some sort of agreement that y'all holds hold sacred or not? Like, are, are, are you going after this dude or are we just kind of the, pol the politics of war are beyond me because it seems I, I look at shit black and white and it's like, yep. are you okay with it? Yes or no. Pick a fucking side yeah. and stand up for that side. Yep. Right. But uh, I've not yep. read up on that Versailles. Actually, I didn't even think about it until you brought it up right now. I've heard it, but I don't really okay. know too much about it. And again, I'm generalizing because... Uh, it's what we do on podcasts. Yeah, yeah. I've read a lot about it. <laughs> of course, I'm not... I, I, you know, this isn't a... We're not, a, we're not making... We're not sort of... A, this isn't a, a presentation to a... a you know, a university or anything. So we can, we can riff and we, we can get things wrong, but the general point is this kind of, is the point. And so you can see where, you know, uh, this desire is this desire to stick to an agreement. Like, no, you actually have a duty to break it for your, for yourself. You owe yourself. If the other guy breaks the agreement and that's possibly a threat to you, you have the duty to break it. Because if you don't, you are you are toast. You are that man's. You are you are basically possibly going to be wiped off the face of the earth. And and it, believe me, people think that if the British had had you know built up their army, that the Germans would have saw that as a sign of aggression. It's quite the opposite. They would have thought, okay, well, then getting stronger too. So you know, it's like when you when you say when you show your when you show the world that you mean business, it's like, it's a deterrent. It's not, England, Britain was never going to invade Germany. Never in a million years. But if they had done the right thing by themselves and actually said, okay, well, Germany's breaking it, we're breaking it too. Germans would have thought, oh, we, we better not mess with them because that's, it's like, this is obvious. It's like it's... Mean power with power. Yeah, it's like you, you you can try it, but we, you know, uh, we're going to send all your soldiers home in body bags, buddy. 
So you you be you, you pay like we mean it. Um, but otherwise we're cool. But if you try it, we will we will fuck you. And <laughs> so that's that the whole this whole war. Uh, you know, you can spend spend your life studying this war. It's just it's just amazing. And but what's the like? So the appeal to you was you learned the lesson of when people escalate to match their escalation or what's your, uh, like if you had to, if you, this will be a good challenge for you. If you had to, in a sentence, uh, your takeaway from what you've learned one sentence yeah, and you get one comma. <laughs> okay. Um, what was it? Why is it so appealing? That particular what, what we just talked about specifically or just world war two. Oh, so oh, you're already oh, trying I to can't. like, you're already trying to add all sorts of fucking conjunctions <laughs> and you want to put a semicolon in there, a fucking dash. I'm just like, if, if you're looking for a synopsis of this war is appealing to you because why, why okay. do you connect with it? Uh, it's, it, it's partly the culture, partly the time period, partly the, I dare say this is going to sound a bit, weird but the, it's there's a romance to it it's, oh it's, for sure it's, it, i don't think you that's know, weird it's, at all it's romanticized yeah, it's like, like a motherfucker <laughs> yeah it is it's 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 marketed uh, man the, it goes back to capitalism to me like it's sold so many books in schools do you know the number one topic kids will read about especially young men in america at least in what, delaware what, fucking what? world war Two, dude if there are nazis okay. in that thing yeah. A, 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 a young man is grabbing it because it's such a yeah. basic concept of good versus evil. I don't know if it's Captain America that did that or what it was, but it's been romanticized because you win. You face this fear. It's going terrible. They are completely evil and you win. And yeah. it's like, we did good. Yeah. And there's something romantic yes. about that. I don't think that's a weird thing to say at all. It, look, it, it's, you know, I often think, because I love that time period, it's just, imagine being alive, and, and, and obviously with the benefit of hindsight, I thought, imagine being in England at that time, and just witnessing it firsthand, I mean, what the, the, one of the greatest events in history, probably, you know, I dare say, in modern history, is probably the greatest, the biggest event ever. Um, it's it basically, along with the first world war, uh, defined everything we do today. Literally, I mean, it's, it's it's almost like it made America what it is today. Even though it was going in that direction anyway, the Japanese were like kind of like the Russians today. Just they had no they they thought they could just I don't know what it is. There's just this weird kind of a disconnection between what you're capable of. And what you want, like, and what you think you're capable of, and like, what, like, when you think back, at it, it's like, what were the Japanese thinking? Dude, <laughs> like, I, I literally what, what, had a kid ask me in class today. We were talking yeah. about the Civil War, and somebody brings up right. World War Two, and then you say the word war, yeah. and it's Ukraine, Russia, and then all of yeah. a sudden it's like, what was the war with the Nazis in it? And you're like trying to help kids who are formulating their worldviews, like connect things. And they were like, wait, so Pearl Harbor was connected to World War II? 
And dude, it made me stop because I cannot explain. I'm like, yeah, so you got these Nazis, they're trying to take over Germany. And you know, then all of a sudden like Russia kind of gets angry at them. So then Russia is pushing on one side and then America and Britain kind of land on this other side. And it's this sandwich. And then for some reason, Japan, I don't know why, was like, let's attack Hawaii. And I literally could not get any deeper than questioning myself of, I'm pretty sure that's the same war. And I felt so fucking stupid. But you're right. Like, dude, the Japanese aspect is severely underrated because I still, like, I've, I've not read and I'm not even clear on why... Was it just like a strike of opportunity to be like, America looks weak. Let's hit them up. Honestly, I, I, and, and, I, and I'm not as familiar with the Pacific war as I am with the European war, even though right? it's like, weird. It, it's... it affects us directly. Like it's, it's on our doorstep. But, um, but the interesting thing is I, I honestly, like I know I'm pretty sure that the emperor didn't have like that. The military was starting to, play up and the emperor really kind of had to go along i don't think he had much choice uh i think that the military just felt like um um instead of building japan let's just conquer asia um it's it's like hubris arrogance um you tell me it's like they probably saw i don't know what they thought of the british because the british were were in Asia, uh, in the Pacific region as well. Not just us, but, but the British. Um, um, I don't know what they were thinking. I they, they thought that if they annihilated the US fleet, they could do what they wanted in, in the Pacific because no one would oppose them. The British were too busy. The British were busy in Europe. So uh, I don't think they knew what they were getting into. Like they... Because from what I remember about Pearl Harbor, all of your aircraft carriers were supposed to be there at that time, but they weren't. And so that would have been a huge blow to America. Not that America was ever going to be invaded, no way. But the point was to neutralize America, the American Navy so that the Japanese could do whatever they wanted in the Pacific. But they stretched themselves too thin anyway. Um, Unlike the Germans, who they sort of did, but they sort of didn't. They didn't, you know, they focused on Europe and North Africa. Uh, whereas Japan projected into China, the South Pacific, the fighting America. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, that's definitely a culture or an aspect of the World War II that I don't think it's like it doesn't get connected. Well, see, for the for Japan and China, if you're a, if you are a Japanese person or a Chinese person, the Second World War kind of began in 1933 for you, sort of. It's a prologue. It's like they necessarily call it the 39 to 45 war. They call it the 33 to 45 war, perhaps, because China had to put up with almost what a decade of Japanese invasion. Like they had Japanese troops on their in their country for a decade or something. I mean, they held on, but, at, and it's like in hindsight, it's like, what the fucking Japanese thinking? It's like, you don't have enough, 
uh, anyway, uh, it's just, it's, no, uh, dude, it, it it's, is, it's, it's nuts. The, the analogy would be what I made earlier. It's like Britain to America. Now, yeah. I, I know Japan's closer to China, but like, yes. you look at an island and you look at a fucking continent and you just, yeah. you're, you're it, it's mouse to an elephant type shit just from a visual standpoint of mass. And it's amazing that Britain is able to exert the force it does from its landform. And it's amazing that Japan yeah. was able to do that from their landmass. Well, they had... Like they, they had, you know, if they had focused just on China, they might have, they might not have even won that, but they would have had some kind of chance. Um, but when you're like, when you're, if your supply lines get cut off, that's it. You know, you're, it's like, that's what and we're people seeing. were thinking when, when Russia went into Ukraine, people were thinking, damn, Ukraine's going to last what a week. Yeah, but, if we, that. but what I did, we didn't real, we didn't realize. My friend told me because he's uh, he kind of has a way of thinking, which uh, he's he's more interested in that stuff than I am uh, in modern stuff. Um, and he made the point that this isn't going to be easy for Russia because they don't, the Russian soldiers don't want to be there. The Ukrainian soldiers are going to basically be digging in because it's their country and they're going they're on home territory so the the morale is going to be stronger on the ukraine side than on the russian side um uh and lo and behold now in hindsight it makes so much sense but the russians are not winning even though we thought they would but we didn't read what 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 my friend pointed out was he said he said to me, do you really think that a, a, an army of 200,000 is enough to encircle Kiev alone, never mind the whole country? It's, it's like you, you've got to be, have rocks in your head if you think you can do that. Because he, he understands these things. I, I don't. Um, <laughs> but he says, Kiev, Kiev is not, this isn't some little country. It's not like, say, America invading, uh, say, America technically could invade Cuba and, and literally destroy it within a day, but that's a, a massive disparity. It, we're not talking; we're talking about the difference between, uh, let's say, uh, they, remember Ukraine has a, pop, a massive population. Ukraine has more people than Canada to start with. They have an army which is bigger than the Russian invasion force. Um, they, and so it's like, it makes sense that the Russians aren't winning because how can they? It's, it's like, it's, Ukraine is not a small country either by, it's not tiny. It's not as big as Russia in terms of landmass, but it's not small. Has a big army. I mean. And it's just a bunch of tough motherfuckers. Like, yo, if you were telling everyone 18, what wasn't the age mandate to stay there? 18 to like 60, was it 55 or 65? Something like that. Like they're not, they're not. Yeah. There's like, we're not, dude, we're not like fucking you. You can get social security and retire in America. And in the Ukraine, they're like, no, you're fucking getting an AK 47 that we're dropping in crates and you're hauling off in a window and you're oh, going to yeah. shoot people who are coming down the street. And they were like, yeah. bet. 
Let's yeah, go. Yeah. Like that's yeah, a next level type of patriotism. That's that's plus the know, thing that uh, mind fucks me is like, aren't they the Ukraine is basically descendants of the Soviet Union, right? Like hasn't it only um, been like 30, 40 years? So No. Uh, no? Well it wasn't it was a separate country before. Um, but it's ethnically they're the same in the same way that the French and the Germans are pretty much the same ethnicity, pretty much the same. Um, and so, if you're a Russian soldier, you're thinking, "Well, the Ukraine didn't attack us." Yeah, that's I guess. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at, right? Like you're you're same, looking at people who are you. Like, are you really shooting yeah. a cousin of yours? Do you really yes. want to murder a brother, a distant relative? Right, like that For has no to reason. play some sort yeah. of some sort of role in a moralistic standpoint because you're still a fucking human. You would hope. Yeah, and, and there's, but the, and it's like from the Russian soldiers' point of view, there's not even there's no like there's, there's no, no reason to there's, there's no yeah, there's no like where's where, no yeah where's the, where's the why what's what's the what's the selling point here yeah. Now that there that always one. seems so strange, and the the seeing the parachuters that get fucking captured, and they're like, we thought it was a training. <laughs> like, I don't know how much is propaganda and how much to believe versus like yeah. how much is authentic. But the authentic yeah. narrative of the Russians being tricked by their own country, um, that's what I want to believe. <laughs> Maybe it's because I've been raised as an American to not trust Russia. But it makes oh, sense. Like I could totally yeah. fucking see them being like, "Oh, it's an exercise. Go down there. They're going to be scared of our tanks and shit, and not telling their troops." And then all of a sudden they land, and they're like, yeah. "Why are they fucking shooting at us, man?" Yeah, I, I remember. Uh, uh, was I that that reminded me of? Oh yeah. Apparently, because I don't bother watching the news for various reasons, but if I need to find out something, I'll find out something. And my friend, he does occasionally watch these things. And he said, look, he said, he gave me some interesting stats. The head of the FSB, which is their CIA, um, he hasn't been seen in 11 days or something. Like, he's, he's in trouble. No shit. Um, Russia's. And, yeah, yeah. And it's like, how interesting, like, and it's like there's a picture forming where either where either his intelligence officers were, were too timid to tell him the truth, which I don't believe because Russians are not like, I don't think Russians are like that. They're not, they're not fucking, uh, like know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't, if you're like, if you're the head of the FSB or a senior officer in the FSB or whatever it is, you're not going to be a yes man. You're going to be like, I think you, you are you, just on my know, real maybe, limited maybe. reading of Dostoevsky. <laughs> like, they right. were fucking so scared of being put in some sort of whatever prison in Siberia that yeah. they just wanted to comply with whoever was in authority. So I yeah. think my, my yeah, gut tells me I want to disagree with that. But again, yeah. who the fuck okay. am I? I'm a Delawarean that's riffing right now. Oh, but, but, but think of put yourself in modern Russia, not, you know, the early... You know, yeah, I got no connection uh, to that. Pre, pre, yeah. So you put yourself there, and in, 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 in like, and you think, okay, the fucking president wants to invade Ukraine. Well, Mr. President, 
there's some problems that you need to know about. And it's almost like you don't have, you wouldn't think about say, saying, well, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to contend with this, 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 and this, and you're going to need more, more, more than 180,000 soldiers. You're going to also need this and this and this and this. You're going to face this problem and that problem. And if you want to do it, you have to, you know, you, you know, I'm telling you the facts. You don't like empire somebody else. Like, yeah, a professional that at that level. Sorry? Is that the conversation? Like, hire somebody else? I feel like my... Well, look, I'd be... Like, I'm is that modern Russia? I guess would be my question. Look, it doesn't look, seem... Look, maybe, maybe I think too much... I think too much like uh, a Western sort of businessman would think. But, right? But I'm like... I'm the kind of guy that when I'm at a... I'm at a point where I'm mature enough and confident enough to know what I want and what I don't want. Yeah. And uh, if you don't like the facts that I'm giving you, um, that's your problem. Here are the facts. If you don't like them, fine. If you want, but don't come and cry to me when it all goes, if anything goes sour, don't come to me <laughs> and say, oh, gee, you know, why, do, why aren't we winning this? Like, well, because I fucking told you, you know, um, <clears throat> I told you to do this and not this, and you're not listening. I mean, and I don't give a fuck. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm, despite the fact that I grew up very insecure, one thing I never worried about was going to the principal's office because I'm like, if I'm in the right, I don't give a fuck who the principal is. That's I'm going to tell it to him straight, and I'm going to admit when I was wrong, and I'm going to admit when I was wrong. And maybe it's just my uh, contradictory personality, because yeah, well, I, I like the. I, I, when I was a kid, you would think you don't care about going to the principal, yet you're afraid of getting like uh, uh, other, like like. Why would you? It doesn't make any sense. Like nothing. My, my psychology was all messed up. So one thing I know, and even though. It's perfectly natural for a, for a kid to be worried about principle. We're not kids anymore. And eventually you come to a point where you're not worried about whether or not your superior is going to be upset. It's like grow up. Yeah. Trouble. Time to grow up. They're going to be upset. It's like, yeah. so, so did the head of the FSB deliberately mislead him? Was he afraid to tell him the truth or... Was he fed misinformation, like uh, by by the Ukrainian intelligence, by NATO? Because that's what the Nazis did to the Soviets, by the way. Oh, they um, slowly fed them false information to make the Soviets think that their officers were traitors and they got executed. But but that was just to prepare for the coming invasion. And what happens when you don't have your experienced officers and generals? You're in big trouble. <laughs> so. This is the thing. It's like it's happened before. So I wonder if they were fed because, look, I, I'm not a stupid guy, but I thought the, the I thought Russians would, would would take over Ukraine in a week, but I was that was like I didn't know what I was talking about. Yeah, I don't think many like, people knew like what the fuck is Ukraine about, <laughs> and apparently yeah. there are a bunch of bad motherfuckers that give guns to. No, maybe minimally trained civilians to maintain their property. 
And, I, and I have to be, I have to be a bit cheeky here. <laughs> I'm going to point out that if anyone wonders why Americans uh, affirm the Second Amendment, now you know, dude. That I mean, uh, that shit's getting pumped over here. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it, I, it's a real thing. It's like, you don't think now it's a little different because our second amendment is based for our own government to not take over us versus invasion. Yes. Nobody looks at yes. it like, Oh, fucking Canada, Mexico. I need a bunch of M 16s to keep them off our borders. Like it's more, if we don't like the government, we're going to fire back. But the message is look at what can happen with a decently armed pretty untrained militia. You can hang on to some shit. There's a lot of video going on that says fucking accountants can squat, yep. pose, and they'll take up 12-hour shifts and they'll fucking yep. lay down some suppressive fire. And if you can use them yep. in some real basic ways, you're going to be a you're you're going to have a fighting chance on the ground. 100%. Ma maybe and not with fucking drones dropping and shit, but on the ground, you're going to have a chance. In my opinion, <laughs> and, and, and I'm just this is just an opinion. But if Ukraine already had a second amendment, I don't think the Russians would have invaded. Oh, that's something I didn't get into. Kareem, that's, that's, but because the Japanese, Japanese were never going to invade you because they knew, like every fucking household had a gun. It's like we're we're not going. We're not like they were never going to invade America. Um, it's like forget it, and that and it's like. It's like, you know, the, the price of liberty is you're, you're never going to get maximal safety, right? It's just bad. It, it's not. But you have to put liberty first before safety, always. And that, that's true in business, like in business. You have the freedom to create whatever product you want. You can hire whom you like. You can put your headquarters wherever you like. You can do what you want with your own money. But guess what? You could you could not succeed. You could fail. You could lose some money. But but you can't you can't get anywhere if you don't have the you put the freedom before the safety. Because if you put the safety first, you'll never get anything done. You'll never have an Apple or an IBM or a Boeing or the the, the space the the the, the moon uh, the space program. Like if they put safety above enterprise and, and exploration you would have never had nasa in the first place it's like well it's too dangerous someone might die well yeah but like yeah but you could die crossing the road are you gonna stay indoors for the, all of your life kareem i'm gonna end the pod on yeah but are you gonna stay indoors for all of your life because I have to go educate some people tomorrow morning, my friend. <laughs> All right. That, what, I, this was such a fun chat. I, Dude, I really liked it. Yeah, no, man. I, I really enjoyed getting your perspectives. I thank you for coming on with your thoughts and not being fearful of speaking your mind, man. It's really enjoyable to get to know how people think. So thank you for that. Well, I appreciate the it. Only, the, only thing, the only thing I would never utter in public is the F word and the N word. Otherwise, I'll say whatever I like. <laughs> those, those are two pretty, I, I don't know, like like good yeah. rules. Good rules to have, right? Good rules to yeah, have, it's man. Just, keep, keep, keep it simple. Keep it simple. 
and we are good. You're good to go. Simple and effective. All right, Kareem. Yeah. Thank you so much for okay. your time, man. I uh, just appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. And uh, you have a wonderful day tomorrow and and, and uh, a terrific week and uh, and uh, all the best. For, and I and I have, by the way, I did get a chance to listen to a couple of other episodes, but I'm only halfway through each of them. So, <laughs> yeah, they get And I just, I, I listened to the one with Gabby where what's interesting is that Mad Men and Twin Peaks both came up and they're like the top two like best shows ever made. And I'm like, that's oh, perfect. <laughs> like, oh, no shit. Uh, yeah, it's funny yeah, how that like, happens, right? Like little references yeah. and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. But anyway, I, I, I will let you go because as you said, you got some people to teach and uh, it was really fun, actually. I love, love a good chat and this was a good one. Yeah, dude. Thank you. Thanks for pacing the whole time, man. Um, enjoy the rest of your day and um, thanks for letting I people will. get to know you. Okay, cheers, Sean. Cheers, man. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, Friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.